Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Government have been trying to say this has been unpredictable, but they need to be more creative and ambitious than that. I've had to go and set up a petition to try and get this over the line. I brought it to our minister. I brought it to the department. Nobody is listening. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. There's an old saying in politics, an old and a very true saying in politics. When you're explaining, you're losing. And I think Simon Coveney doing a lot of explaining this morning about that uh, party that wasn't a party that went on at the Department of Foreign Affairs back in June of, of 2020. But you know what? There's another soundbite of Simon Coveney you might not have heard. That was the one where he saw the selfie that got put up on social media from that night the first time he saw that particular selfie ah Jesus there you go 0818 96 96 96 if you're coming to town by car today be wary of two things and I want your thoughts on one of them in particular car parking charges Paul Street's gone up from 230 to 270 as of this morning, per hour, that is. And in North Main Street, 170 to 230. So, Paul Street gone up uh, 40 cents an hour. And North Main Street gone up uh, another uh, 60 cents an hour, if my calculations are correct. So I think the other thing that's happening, though, as of today, if you're coming in to town to park the car, do not, for goodness sake, put two wheels up on a footpath. Do not park in a cycle lane, although you're a gobshite if you do anyway, and do not park in a bus lane even with two wheels stuck in the bus lane, be careful of that because from today it's 80 quid 80 yo-yos that's not the reminder you get in a month's time that you didn't pay, no, it's 80 euro from today to park on a footpath park on a cycle lane park in a bus lane and you know what dawned on me in the last while as I was thinking about this and look you can argue the rights and wrongs of this you shouldn't be blocking cycle lanes it's only a complete aegis blocks a cycle lane parking on the footpath is just bad manners you shouldn't do it parking in a bus lane is just the actions of an idiot at the same time right? none of those things are things you should do in the course of your normal day and 80 euro is what it'll cost you but Am I the only one who thinks that eventually they'll all be ticked up to 80? Everything, including not having a valid disc or a valid 
pay parking thing, they'll all be ticked up to 80. This is just the start. I wonder. Do you wonder? I sure wonder. But yeah, what do you think? Would you agree with me? 0818 96 96 96 or 083 396 96 96. I have a letter in my hand that was written by Roy Long from Crosshaven. He's a dog trainer. He runs a company or ran a company called Long Leash Training. He's closed it now. We'll hear why in a while. Or closed it temporarily at least. And it's a letter that he wrote to the Minister for Housing, Dara O'Brien. And he wrote that letter in sheer desperation at what himself and his partner are going through. Roy, just when you think we've heard every angle of the housing story, you write your letter to the Minister and we realise, hang on, what's this about? Tell us the story from the start. You actually have a place to live, but you can't finish it. Yeah. So around um, two years ago, or long, no, longer, I'd say three years ago maybe, myself and my partner were just looking for somewhere to rent, just to kind of move out of my parents' place. And we spent about eight months to a year maybe looking for somewhere to rent locally, Crosshaven, Cargilline. We were going for viewing after viewing, and even when we thought that we were getting to the kind of final stages, we always just missed out. And it's like it's landlords are really geared towards they just want as little hassle as possible mm. I want two young people with no kids who have contracted work you better not be self-employed you know it's it's just it, it doesn't allow for anybody to be human essentially at the yeah. end of the day um, after no avail for that long we just decided like countless other couples to just go for the whole log cabin approach explain the log cabin approach I've seen these little places around the place you literally go and you buy them in a a hardware outlet, don't you? And you build them yourself? Yeah, there's a couple of places that are doing them um, nationwide, as in that's just what they specialise in. My uncle next door, actually, he's working for a place that are doing that. Um, we didn't go through one of them just because we have so many trades available in the family, carpenters and everything like that. that mm. We just went for kind of by our own route. Um, so, yeah, they're absolutely everywhere. Like, even in my local area here, I know of at least six or seven that are just as illegal as my own one. So what do you do? You, you buy the cabin and you put it on a suitable piece of land and you finish it yourself. So what happened? Um, so we had gotten the credit union loans and everything that we needed to build it. Like it was a big investment, but it was going to pay off in the long run that we'd have a roof over our heads to be able to save for a mortgage and everything. And we'd been declared in after that. Mm. And you had a bit of land as well, did you? Well, it's just on my parents' property. My father had put down a foundation for a shed years ago when building the place, but he just never got around to actually building it. So he thought this was a better use, which, you know. Yeah. And it was just going to be for the few years that we needed it. And then we intended on pulling it down afterwards anyway, Mm. or he was just going to turn it back into a shed for himself, you know. Yeah. And yeah, it was, we just about had it to the stage where it was being plastered during the first two to three weeks of the pandemic. Mm. And we were living with a friend in Passage West at the time and we moved in even when the plaster was still drying. Mm. So no flooring, nothing, no electrics. But we were just glad to have somewhere at last, you know. And like, yeah, it was kind of exciting in a way in that we were like, okay, next week now we'll have the money for the flooring, then we'll have the money for this and the money for that. And we were kind of getting it all together. Mm. How big is this, Roy? How, how big is the place? 
So in internal space, it's like 39 square meters. Um, and I think like the what you're actually allowed to build without planning at all is something like 25 square meters or something like sure, that. Sure, sure. So it's the size of a small apartment, basically. Yeah, it's very modest. Like it's a bedroom en suite and an open plan area that's just kitchen, sitting room. Right. That's it. It's not much. Um, and it was just a day then that I was handing over the envelope with the money for doing the roof finally to my father he handed back to me the letter we got from Cork County Council that we had been reported for an unauthorised dwelling to cease all works immediately and that's where the nightmare started then from there So you're on your dad's property with your dad's full permission Mm -hmm. building a place to live in for a few years so what happened how did the council have a problem with that? They didn't. So the council, their own position on them, because there's so many of them everywhere that they just have a turn a blind eye kind of policy. So they they said to us themselves that they do not pursue or follow up on any of them unless they have been reported. So at that stage, we put about 16,000 into it and we had to cease all works then immediately as well. So that's when the whole process then with applying for retention planning started from there then. And there was huge costs involved with that. We had to get a civil engineer in. And to be fair to him, he was fantastic. He only charges about a quarter of what he should have, just mm. given our situation. What he went through with a fine-tooth comb, we were even getting permission from my uncle, the other side, because um, it's three houses in a row, um, to put in a new biocycle on his property with his permission at a cost of ten to 15000 mm. just to keep planning happy. As in, our engineer went through everything that would be okay and put it all together, sent it off, and we were then refused, um, which really was not like um, the view of the road, these kind of things. Like, um, and we were also refused on the grounds that when completed, it would be um, unsafe for us to live in. They never really gave much further detail on that, but just from a fire hazard point of view or anything like that. Amazingly as well, everyone's been amazed by this throughout the process, but officially listed as one of the reasons why it was refused was that in its current state, it's an eyesore. Mm-hmm. But you're only half finished. Exactly. Can you imagine buildings out there if they were allowed to be refused based on how they looked halfway through the process? It's just nonsensical. Like, I, I wasn't here the day that the planner initially came down to view it, but amazingly, we've been left in it for almost two years now in that state. Right. But you're, if it's half finished... No, it was the fact that we had just gone without planning permission, as so many people do. Mm. Like, I'm, I'm not saying that it's right or anything like that. Yeah. We were aware of it at the time. We only found out afterwards and draw. Hindsight is a great thing and everything, but obviously if we'd known so, we would have gone the planning route in the first place. Yeah. Um, so we got no chance in the, the retention stage, really. We were refused then. And we were going for an appeal with on board Panola. Um, there was issues there. We never even got our appeal to be viewed. They, essentially, they, they said there was an issue with our application. Um, and they waited until after the Christmas break of last year to even tell us that there was an issue with the application mm. well after the deadline had passed. And so from then, in January 21, then we started getting letters from the Enforcement Department and County Council and we were beginning dates for a demolition. Like we had to have it done by this date or they will do it for us. And we were obviously devastated, panic stations and everything. 
but the date kept moving. Mm. Come up to it and move again, move again, move again. And the obvious thing is like, I didn't really think it at the time. I, you know, I was terrified that it was going to happen. But they're not going to actually pull the trigger on it. Can you imagine the county council down here high-fiving next to the bulldozer with myself and my messes in the car crying, you know? Mm. That's a new story that nobody wants to bring on them. Like. Mm. Mm. But the thing is, you said to me you have access to all sorts of trades through family and connections. So you could probably finish this in a couple of weeks. Could you? Like, oh, I could. And like, this is, you know, like we've had two years and like, I know people would think, Washer, why haven't you finished this within the two years? But the thing is, it's the constant uncertainty. Yeah. No, the reason I asked the question, Roy, is if you were to just go ahead now and finish it and apply again for retention with a finished building. See, this is the thing. We can apply for retention again. You can do that as many times as you want. But the enforcement order is still there. That, that's a completely separate issue. Right. Because I, I brought this up with my civil engineer. Um, my solicitor proposed this as another idea. All you would do is just change the degree of the roof or something and call, it's technically a different building then again. But he said that the enforcement order would still stand and then it would have to go before a judge and a judge would likely see that as a usurpation of the process and, you know. Yeah. So you even have a, a solicitor guiding you through this extremely yeah, yeah. complicated process. A solicitor, civil engineer, everything. Like, um, but to be absolutely fair to the lads in enforcement, they're a completely different department. Like, the departments in the county council might as well be in different countries. There's no communication between them. But the lads in enforcement are incredibly understanding. Mm. They don't want to do this. And has anyone said to you, right, throughout the whole process, in the council, in enforcement, anywhere, look, here's how you go about fixing this. Has anyone offered you a solution? Not once. They're just looking at whatever details pertain to their job, as in, I'm a planner, you didn't have planning, this doesn't have planning. I'm enforcement, you have an enforcement order, this is what we have to enforce. There, There's no help from anyone whatsoever. Now you showed me on your camera where you live now. Describe it. Um, so the current conditions? Yes. So there's no cladding on the outside. There is no sealed roof. For most of the time, it was just plywood with builders wrap over it. Um, leaking constantly. It was a like two or three nights a week, I'd be walking by water coming in through the light fixings. Um, it's not too clear in one of the pictures that I sent you, but you can see the water coming in through all the cracks in the plasterboard and the ceiling. The entire roof, like inside the ceiling, is all cracked. It's covered in mould. Hmm. Um, I, I couldn't post pictures of the bedroom because it would just be too embarrassing. It's that bad. And this is all because you're not allowed to finish it? Yeah. Because it's never going to dry out because we don't have central heating. I'm mm. not going to pay to put the central heating in when we have to tear it down. Um, we just have storage heaters and I can't leave the storage heaters on during the night because it's a fire risk. Yeah. The, the, the electrics are actually damaged from the all the water damage. We have certain circuits turned off and everything just to avoid fires during the night. So if I'm leaving the heating on, like, I, I have to plug it out before I go to sleep. I'm just, I can't take that chance, you know. The stress of this must be driving you mad. Absolutely. Like, 
Um, I, I'd be very open with my own dealings with mental health issues. Like I left school at 15 due to very bad social anxiety and worked on that over the years. And like, you know, I can manage to go into people's houses and be the dog trainer and send mm-hmm. attention and everything. Yeah. But this is just a completely different level altogether. I never experienced a level of stress like this in my life. Like, and it's how sustained and with no end in sight that it is that just makes it so difficult. Like there was a time maybe in um, October there, just be, just last year, I had gone maybe three, four weeks on maybe just four hours of sleep a night, um, only eating kind of one meal a day, two if, if I was lucky, just from being so stressed out. <laughs> and uh, the GP went through three different sleeping tablets with me. Um, none of them worked. I could take um, 7.5 milligrams of Zapoclone, which is a fairly strong sleeping tablet, still be awake five o'clock in the morning. Um, like now I take them at 8 p.m. and I'm still awake one or two o'clock in the morning. Makes no difference. Um, they sent me on to Raven's Court for psychiatric assessment then and the conclusion was I'm not mentally ill. There's nothing wrong. I'm having a completely expected and logical reaction yeah. to the situation. They prescribed a house jokingly at that but they said that the thing that's going to fix it is housing yeah they, they tried to put me in touch with a social worker and various other people like that and um, I got great sense of hope from them that they were going to do something and put together a plan with the 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 team in Ravenscourt and everything like that to kind of put pressure on the council as to why um, why they should house us and everything but they just never got back to me it's a common thing throughout this process that whether it's a local councillor, whether it's this or that, that they're full of promises and everything that they're going to help us and they're so understanding and mm. the the contact just weans off because I don't blame them. Like I'm dealing with one councillor at the moment and I, I can sense his frustration because the thing is that he actually can't do anything. Yeah. And, and again, to come back and stress to this, like no one has said to you, okay, look, you started without planning permission. You shouldn't have done that. But here's how you fix this. Not one person. And I've asked, like, I, I ask all the time, like, what should I do? What would you do in my position? Yeah. And no, it's just whatever, like, whichever department I'm dealing with, it's just whatever issue concerns them. Yeah. You know, we're still playing catch up. Um, like, I'm paying out nearly, I'd say, 100 or 150 each week back in loans and everything on, like, the cost of materials, etc., just to build it. That bear in mind whether it's a, a pile of rubble or still a house, I'm paying those loans for the yeah. next three to four years. Yeah, yeah. You've even had to, the stress of it, you've had to close down. We were going to talk to you a couple of weeks ago about dog training, yeah. but yeah. since then you've had to close yeah. down the business. Yeah, and it's that's the part that's killing me the most, to be honest. And like I've got such a ream of messages from all of my clients, just so grateful, even for how much I was able to help them in the first place and to leave them hanging just in the middle of training plans like that just absolutely kills me I know. because it's it's not something that I do for money or the ego side of it or anything like that mm. I just care about dogs and them having better relationships with their owners but I spent so long trying to do that in spite of all this to yeah. try to keep up the front that everything was okay and like 
when I was a machine operator, you just go in on a bad day, keep the head down, press the buttons, clock out and go home. Yeah. But when you're the center of attention and self-employed like that, it's, it's really not easy. Like in the last couple of weeks there, it was either that I was cancelling appointments on the morning just because I hadn't slept at all, or it would be that I'd go and then halfway through explaining something very technical, I'd completely forget what I was even talking about. Oh, and I'd have to ask the client to remind me what I was even talking about. That's an awful level of stress. Yeah, I just, I've lost the ability to be as professional as I like to be. You know? Now, you've written pretty much everything you just told me into a letter to the Minister for Housing because you're going to ask Minister O'Brien, can you do anything for me? Can you tell me? Like, all you're looking for here is a way to, you admit you made mistakes. You're looking for a way to fix it. Isn't that all? Yeah, and I don't even want a free house. I, I just want an opportunity to rent the house. Mm. Like, even as it says in my letter, like, and I'm getting even more uh, numbers from clients since they've read it to do with the number of houses boarded up in different areas or yeah. Cargill and everything like that. Like one of my clients who's actually a good friend of mine, he's in social housing in Cargilline and the house next to him, a one bed house, is boarded up since early last year. And like I would take it as is. I'll screw the boards off myself and I'll pay the full cost of the rent for it. But this is all the reason those houses are boarded up is because their policy of it has to be brought back to the original condition. So I'm not sure if you've heard of that before. Yes, I have, like yeah. That. Yeah. But again, you have access to trades. You have access to... You could get. You could, you could. could move in and do it. I, I would sign whatever legal agreement they want to say that no matter what happens with the place, I'm not going to hold them liable in any way whatsoever. It's completely on me. Because I, I know that that's what their reasoning is for keeping the places boarded up. That they're... It's thinking of legal repercussions, you know. But... um. I would be so grateful just for anything as it is. Roy, I don't know how to say to you. I mean, you're okay. And we'll come back to it because listeners will. You made a mistake in not applying for planning. But no one's helping you to fix that. No. And, and this is why I never, ever went public with it until now. It was just because I knew I was in the wrong. Mm. Like, I would, I not the type of person who likes attention anyway, but for that fear of that public backlash. Even just the one person that would text an after saying, ah, sure, it's his own fault. But what changed my mind on that was the amount of clients that I have, as it even in my letter says that like in the last two years, I haven't had a single client under the age of 30 that's in rented accommodation or their own home. They're all living with their parents or they're in a deceased grandparents' house that they're renting off the books off an uncle or whoever inherited it. But the vast majority are in log cabins. Yeah, I have at least 10 to 15 clients in that age group who are in log cabins and after hearing my story are absolutely terrified that the same thing can happen to them because the only difference between me and them is that I was reported. It's just so strange like you have the plot of ground on your dad's land you have all the help you need to finish the job and someone objected and here you are. And this is it because all the mechanisms and protocols, whether it's planning, housing, or anything like this, it never envisioned things getting this bad. The unprecedented are the words I've been hearing the last two years. Yeah. It's no precedented, and more than people think. Yeah. Clearly, these little places are all over the county, as you, as you say. Yeah. When did you post off your letter to the minister? Um, I sent it registered there yesterday. I sent one to himself and one to Michal Martin as well. Okay. Let's see if you get a reply. 
I really, really wouldn't expect that. No, unfortunately not. All I can do is wish you well. And I know people will say, Christ, is there not a way to fix this for the lead? Do you know? I know. And no, I can empathise with you because I'm hearing this so much all the time. Just I don't know what to say. And it's everything from my GP to anyone else. Like everyone's out of answers or suggestions or anything. And we're literally just sitting here waiting just for something to happen. Are you afraid of a bulldozer arriving? No. But what I am afraid of is how much of me will be left at the end of this. Do you know? Yeah. It's taking its toll on you. Yeah. Like, massively. Roy, I'll leave it there with you. And uh, keep in touch if you do get a response. I will, absolutely. Thanks very much for the opportunity, Paige. I really appreciate it. Thanks very much. So there you go. That's his story. He admits, he's not saying for a second that he didn't. He admits that in going ahead without planning permission, he was wrong. He says, I'm one of dozens are doing this. But he was objected to. And now he's in all sorts of trouble. And he can't find a way to fix what's wrong. And therein lies his problem. Here we have two people, says Case, trying to go out on their own and not get help elsewhere. What happens? They get stopped. And on the phone, I feel sorry for him, but it's a lesson to everyone that this business of putting in a dwelling is dodgy. That's my experience too. The staff have to work once they get a complaint. And caller, that is exactly what Roy is saying. They have to do something once they get a complaint. That That is the unfortunate situation. But then, and maybe I'm alone in this, there should be a way for him and his partner to sort it out. And it seems that there isn't. 0818 96 96 96. Ah, Eugene, I was wondering when someone would come on board with this. Today, my friend, is not the first day of spring. The first day of spring is the first of March. I don't care what folklore you learned in school. <laughs> and we will be talking to an Irish Celtic witch later on. And I'll put that question to her. But today is not scientifically, the first day of spring. It's St. Bridget's Day. It's the first of February. But it ain't no first of spring. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Let's get down, let's get down to business. We're back to the music. The Quartz 96FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now. Just like this. Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100 euro Just Eat voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Let's get down, let's get down to business. Join the Quartz 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. I was talking about passports yesterday and a couple of different queries that had come in about passports. And I went and looked up the the turnaround times at the Department of Foreign Affairs. And for online passports, you can get them in a matter of days. For any kind of a passport through paper, if you like, it's taking eight weeks, maybe longer sometimes. Lorraine, when did you apply for your daughter's passport? Good morning. Um, I applied for it on the 1st of December. I sent off everything that I supposed to have done. Yeah. And I um, was checking the emails and stuff like that. And then I got an email back to say that you needed additional information. Sorry, you went so online said, well, first, didn't you? 
Yeah, yeah. And, I, and tell me, I was it a first me. passport or was it a repeat? No, no a re- renewal. Okay, okay, right. And um, I, then I got an email to say that I needed additional information. So I was like, what's the additional information? Was it our pictures that went wrong? Was it, you know, change of address? I don't know. So um, I tried to email them. The whole month of January, I tried to phone them, couldn't get in contact with them. Got onto a TD, um, Andreas Moynihan, um, Colette helped me for the last week saying, you know, I'll ring the passport office for you and whatever. So we eventually got through and I cancelled her online application because right. I wanted to do um, the paperwork and do a four day turnover. Yeah. But before that, I booked an appointment last Monday because no one was picking up the phone to me. Paid 120 euro for uh, online or for, yeah, online to go into the office in Cork to see if I could speak to someone and do a four day turnover. Hang on, 120 quid to talk to someone? Yeah, (laughs) like just to talk to someone. I needed to talk to someone because I needed her passport by today. So I paid the 120 euro online and next day I was going into the passport office and I got a message, an email at 10 to 9 saying you're booked. your appointment is cancelled because I have an online application. So I was like, oh my God. So that was Tuesday. So Tuesday, eventually then gone on to the passport office after three o'clock because that's the times that they pick up the phone. So I cancelled her online application. I said, how long will I be waiting for an email confirmation? So they said, you will be waiting about 48 hours. I said, that's fine. I said, 48 hours. I said, I'll still get her four-day turnover if I bring in all her paperwork. I had everything ready, the whole lot ready to go. So then I was there Thursday. Wednesday came, nothing. Thursday, nothing. At three o'clock, I rang them. I said, what's going on? I need her passport. Oh, all the systems are done. We're waiting on IT to come in and sort out the situation here. I said, Sorry. I said, I need to get a passport. So I was like, oh my God, never, ever received that email. Mm. So I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? So the only thing I could do yesterday was just go public about it, go into the passport office, Mm. went in with her passport stuff, just gave it to the security guard yesterday and just said, there you go. I said, will you bring that over to a hatch? I said, I need to get that information in today. And the security man took it, brought it over to the hatch. I saw him doing it. And I got a phone call yesterday at 12 o'clock to say that they were looking at it and they don't know if they could do anything. And I got a phone call at 20 past four yesterday to say that her passport was ready in Dublin. And I went straight to Dublin yesterday for it. Major, major, sigh, major sigh of relief there. But the question that I still haven't had an answer to, and I don't know you had, when they came back, first of all, they say a simple online, online renewal should now take mm-hmm. no more than 10 working days. That's according to their mm-hmm. own website this morning. I, I checked this. Yeah. So no more than 10 working days. They came back looking for additional information. They never told you what that was? No, but I got that email yesterday. Yesterday? Yeah. Eight, eight weeks later? Yeah. What were they looking for? Um, my my um, maiden name, like my birth name and uh, Brooke's date of birth. And like that was on her online application anyway. But in her online app, it, had also, it would also have been on her they were old cover- passport. I say they were covering themselves. They were covering themselves. They had to send something to me. Yes, I didn't I didn't fill it out. I didn't fill it out. I didn't send it back. I didn't do nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. just left but the application to you, 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 you drove to Dublin for it. 
Uh, yeah, we left yesterday at five o'clock. We got up there for eight o'clock. I had her passport in my hand at eight o'clock from, we had to go to Ivy House right. in Stevens Green. Oh, they were open at eight, And collected. They? they were open till ten. They were open till 10 for me. Right. And the passport was waiting, ready for me there. <laughs> someone, someone put it and, out of the fire. Oh my God. And then I had to come home. I got home for about half 11, went straight to bed and get up at about half six this morning and pack her bag because I was afraid to pack her bag all along. Where are you flying? She's flying with her, her dad's family at 12, um, 20 to 1. Oh, Christ, go to the airport. She to Rossi. <laughs> oh, good for her. Oh, she's up there. She, I'd say she is. Good for, good for, good for oh. her. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Do you know what? No, she's, on the, she's, she's there. She's there. That's the main thing. That's great, And yeah. we got there in the end. That's great. It's a good story. It is a good story. And clearly what it says is, you know, if if their arses are kicked for them, they, they'll move. But you know what? We think that what, why they honoured it is because I never got the confirmation email to say that it was cancelled. So they had to honour it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I got you. I got you. So got you. that's what we're thinking anyway, because... We just don't know. We don't know. There was just someone looking up above. Lorraine, at this stage, girl, I don't think you care. I don't. I don't. She got her passport and I said, Brooke, your passport is out when you're 17. I said, don't plan to go anywhere when you're 17. You're applying for your own passport when you're 18. Yeah, but that's, uh, honest to God, it's it's just too hard. Because that was my first thought was, was it a first passport? Because they're a nightmare. Yeah, sure, like little, like Brooke's little cousin, Bowie, she's in Dublin. She was supposed to go as well. She's one in May. Her mum and dad sent off her passport in last September and the child's passport never came back. The child's not going on a holiday. September? Yeah, September last year. The 23rd of September last year, her mum sent off her passport. Four months. Yeah. And yesterday, or yeah, yesterday, they were told inside the passport office that there's something wrong with her pictures. Why didn't they say that four months ago? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so they, they uh, had to leave her child, look, their child was saying... Um, by, by however, a, by however magic it happened, because I know Fergal was doing a bit of legwork off here, off here, here yesterday to see what could be done. I don't know how it happened, but I look, know, he it was happened, Lorraine. He was so it good. happened, it happened, and we're on delighted for you. And Thank you so much. May Brooke have a wonderful holiday going to one of my oh, favourite... Oh, I hope I'm she's not a bit jealous, like. It's one of my favourite places. I know. And I'm not, oh, I'm not I a bit jealous, like. <laughs> Come here, she left me in an awful mess here. No, her bedroom is like a bomb, so I'm going to be cleaning for the week. <laughs> but yeah. look, we don't care. Wait, we don't tell care. You, the, you know what she I tell you the trick, the trick about the teenage bedroom? Well, I have you now, right? Well, I have you, right? <laughs> the trick about a bedroom, okay? Does she have a phone? Yeah. Okay. When she comes, leave leave the bedroom alone, right? When she comes home, right, first chance you get, take the phone and hide it <gasps> in the bedroom. What? And that She'd bedroom will be it. cleaned in 10 minutes. <laughs> it would. It would. Definitely. <laughs> Just to have her phone in off her hand. Oh, God. Do you know, teenagers know they love their phones. They need to Snapchat. I need to do TikToks. Uh, I know. Noel, oh. go on. Take care. Get, before Thank thing you, you do, so much, sit, sit down, have a cup of coffee and breathe. Oh, I will breathe. I will breathe. She's gone. <laughs> Go on. Thanks so much, PJ. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. See you. Bye bye. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. It's a nuisance. It really is. Like I mean, I went as I said the DFA website. It's probably the only part of their whole system that's easy to that's easy to get your way around. Is actually the information is there. It says. Uh, 
the current turnaround times, if you are doing a simple renewal, a simple renewal, which is what it sounds like, a simple renewal, um, it should take no more than 10 working days to do online, okay? Uh, if it's a complex renewal, which one imagines might involve additional information, it takes 15 working days. To do it online for a first-time applicant can take 40 working days. That's because everything has to be verified, and that's fine. You see, the next time, it's all been previously verified. If you're doing it on paper, it takes eight weeks, at least eight weeks, to do it. The last time I had to renew one of our lads' passports, and it was pre-pandemic, admit that, but uh, it was 2019, um, we had to renew the boy's passport, and I did it online. And I got the photograph organised, and we did it online. I sent it off on a Monday afternoon, paid me money, and it landed on the doormat on Thursday morning. So, you know, it can happen. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks ninety six FM with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk; they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. They can call Wayne Hilton. Wayne Hilton. The weekend on Corks ninety six FM. Join me Saturday mornings from 10. I've got four hours of the best music mix. Check out the Cork Weekend Survey. Have a go at the Wayne Teaser question. There's the latest celebrity goss. A look at what's happening around town. And we'll keep you up to date with all your essential Cork news. Wayne Hilton. Saturdays, 10 a.m. With Newmarket Motors Volkswagen. Where you can test drive the full Volkswagen range. Including the all-electric ID3 and ID4. See newmarketvolkswagen.ie. On Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Quartz 96 FM. I gotta tell you, I'm disappointed for the leaving certs of 2022. I am genuinely disappointed for them after it emerged last evening that there will now be a traditional leaving cert with additional choices. They haven't said how the additional choices will work yet, but that would seem to be the plan that Norma Foley will bring to Cabinet today. Traditional leaving cert starting in June. Starting, if I'm correct here, I'll tell you now in just one second, starting in 127 days. A traditional leave insert with additional choices. I guess, Mick Barry, TD, they kind of didn't have much choice when there were so many statistics and figures missing from kids not having junior certs and things like that. There kind of was no choice left for the minister. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Uh, well, I wouldn't agree. I think uh, there's always a choice. Um, the leaving cert students have had a very raw deal. Um, they've lost a hell of a lot of classroom time because of COVID. And I've been very impressed over the recent weeks, the way that they've campaigned and lobbied and gone on the radio shows As and have protested I. As have I, to, uh, to highlight their case. And I, I think the government uh, and Norma Foley uh, are lining up to, to betray them uh, in reality today. Um, there's always choices, PJ, and the government have chosen not to listen to the students, uh, seven out of ten of whom said 
that they did not want a traditional leaving cert mm-hmm. uh, this did. year. They did, but isn't There's it, isn't it a simple fact, Mick? And I listen to them and they make their case incredibly cogently. Far better than you or I could put it that way. They make their case really, really well. But at the end of the day, there is a statistical fact that the having the leaving cert so altered in the last couple of years has led to ridiculous grade inflation and the point system's gone berserk. Well, let's look at another statistical fact briefly, uh, and that is uh, today being the deadline day for the CAO, um, there's going to be 80,000 people applying for 55,000 places approximately Mm. in third level next year. Now, I put it to you that it is unfair in any year to ask students to compete against each other for a limited number of places, but it is particularly unfair in a pandemic year At the same time as the government are giving money to employment agencies to scour the world, looking for nurses to come back and doctors to come back and for construction workers, why is the state not investing heavily in third level to provide places and to train people here? Are you really thinking, Mick, we're ever going to get a one one for everybody in the audience? Like, that's not going to happen. Well, if you wound the clock back to the 1950s or the 1960s, PJ, the idea of one for everybody in the audience in second level, right, would have been seen as the idea of a dreamer. You know, you did your your yeah. your, your your primary. You know, and make, you hang primary on a second now, right? That hasn't exactly changed. I mean, I'm only talking for the last God knows how many years to mothers of children with special needs, so they're not even sorted out yet. So, can we get the special needs education sorted out before we start talking about Absolutely. one for everybody in the audience at third level? Absolutely. We need we need priorities there and the question of, of, of special needs education is key. But the point that I'm making to you is this, right? Um at one at one stage the idea of uh, everybody going to second level was seen as a crazy idea. And the idea of everybody going to third level might be dismissed as a crazy idea now. But if people want to do it and are prepared to put in the shift, Mm. there should be a place for them. And it certainly is the case that there's a real shortage of nurses, of teachers, of doctors, of apprentices. Why are they not investing in that and helping the sixth years with the extra places? Now, you're going to raise this with the Taoiseach today, I think, in the doll. You won't get anywhere, you know that. Well, the, the the only way in which um, we will get anywhere is if there is a political firestorm and if there is a, a really, really strong pushback from students which force a consideration of the issue. Yeah. They do have a union now, the Irish uh, Second Level Students Union. Um, uh, they've been very impressive uh, in the media, uh-huh. but... The government are uh, putting it up to them now and, and, and they need to show their uh, uh, metal. See, the problem uh, when, is, when Mick, they've now the got wall. to study. They have study to do. They, they're, they're not politicians. They're not campaigners. They, they, they made their case. They made it very, very well. And it's gone against them, unfortunately. So now the best thing they can do is knuckle down and study. Yeah, I think a lot of students will knuckle down and study without a doubt. But we'll do our best for them uh, in the doll today. Right. And, you know, I, I, I certainly think it's the case, PJ, There's probably a a, a hell of a lot of students out there today who, uh, in terms of, uh, are they ever going to vote for Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael or the Green Party? I don't think so. They're feeling betrayed and they're right to feel that way. Maybe solidarity leading over on majority. 
<laughs> we'll talk again, I'm Peter. I'm you. Go on, you messer. Mick Barry, um, Solidarity Duty for Cork, North Central. No, I listened, I listened to the fabulous young students that were on the programme t- the last couple of weeks, and I just thought, you know, you make such a super case for yourselves. Make a wonderful case for themselves. But now the battle's over. Get on with the exam. Do they want to go for another row? Do they want to push it further? I haven't spoken to any of our student representatives today, but if anybody would like to take up the cudgels on their behalf yet again, I'm quite happy to listen. I in I don't like this decision. I would prefer to have seen uh, the, the blended leave insert if they could get it. But it doesn't appear to be possible. That would just seem to be the simple fact of the matter. 0818-969696. Morris says, passports should be valid for a lot longer than they are, or indeed for life. The continual renewing of passports throughout a person's life is a bureaucratic racket which causes all kinds of problems for people and should be brought to an end. And why can't a digital passport be issued when people need to travel and can't wait for our very slow postal system to get it to them? Hi PJ, just listening to the passport story there. I renewed my son's passport online on December 31st. Had it two weeks to the day. Yeah, the online system seems to work really, really hard. 0818 96 96 96. Mary Louise Lynch, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Now you're looking for, uh, you're, you're looking for people who have survived abuse to come forward. Why? Well... For a long time in Ireland, um, survivors of intimate partner abuse um, have been isolated. Um, You know, society tended to look at victims and survivors as if maybe they had done something wrong. Um, And what we're learning more and more is just how strong, um, independent and capable survivors actually are. However, due to the impact of intimate partner violence and abuse, um, they quite often remain isolated um, with, you know, low self-esteem or struggling with financial abuse, things like that. So we found that by bringing people together um, just to share their experiences with one another, um, that we're creating a very powerful voice for change. Um, So that's why. So who are CC and what are you looking to do? So CC, Survivors Informing Services and Institutions, are a collective of women survivors of intimate partner abuse. Um, And we're trusting women to stand together and fight against injustice. Um, Our mission is to support women out of isolation to become leaders and to be recognised as experts by experience. Um, And together we're taking action to inform and influence policy, legal, social and political reform uh, in order to eliminate um, intimate abuse. Mm. Your group is based in Skull, but I guess in the online world, people can be anywhere. We're all over. Um, Initially, the project was kind of conceived and um, started to roll out in Cork. And and now, because of uh, launching the Freedom Programme digitally online, which uh, really was a watershed moment for CC, um, as the pandemic as the pandemic you know really struck, um, we were able to launch uh, you know the Freedom Programme through Zoom, and we've got women from the length and breadth of the country now engaging with us. Um, mm. So it's 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 been pretty powerful. While while you're there, and I wish you well with the work. While you're there, I'm sure you will have been 
shocked at yet another story on our front pages this morning. Now, mercifully, that girl got away, but sure, she's traumatised anyway. It's all over the newspapers. A 17-year-old woman out jogging in Kilkenny, and this fella I saw, made a go for I her. saw that last night on Twitter. Um, and yes, it, it, it seems like uh, an extremely opportunistic type of uh, attack and I really do hope that she's okay and I'm sure she's getting you know the best of support um, and, and, and I have a feeling that the whole country wants to see whoever it was brought to justice. So, Somebody was making the very um, good point on social media last night they were saying well look at least she got away unharmed I don't think you could describe what happened to her as getting away unharmed at all. I wonder, will she have slept last night, the poor girl? I doubt it. Um, And I'm sure before she even went out, she had to decide whether she would go or not. You know, Um, as women so often have to do is to kind of to, to plan is it okay for me to go and do something? Is it safe? Will I be okay? And then maybe will I be blamed for it mm. if something does go wrong? Um, so there's, there's Mary Louise, you know, there's sorry, just to quickly, yeah. uh, is, is yeah. it even more frightening? And I know we discussed the Ashley Murphy story at length, and that's gone into the courts now. We must leave it there. But is it even more frightening for groups like yours that Ashley's case and, and this misfortune happened? in broad daylight in the middle of the afternoon? I think it's... I don't think it's any more frightening for survivors who've been living with ongoing abuse. Um, and, and I know, you know, one of the things that we kind of discussed amongst ourselves was, you know, that Ashling Murphy's parting gift to the women of Ireland really was to bring the level of fear into the public consciousness um, and to show how it can happen to any woman at any time, you know, regardless of who she is or where she is from, that this is the level of danger that Mm -hmm. so many women are living with all the time. It's just when it goes on behind closed doors in the home, it's, you know, people can't see it, but that doesn't mean that the fear levels aren't the same. Um, Now, we've had a much... Um, you know, a much greater uh, level of contact um, with survivors since the Ashling Murphy case where women are are reaching out now. Mm. And I think because of the public response to what happened, women feel almost safer to say, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid um, and it's OK, you know, mm. that they can say that they are afraid and that help is there. She really has been a catalyst. If, if anybody wants to contact CC Mary Louise, how can they do that? Well, they can make contact through our website, um, www.ccsisi.ie. Um, if anybody would like to support the Freedom Programme, um, because this is all run through, you know, volunteers, um, but we are rolling it out. Our Freedom Programme is starting again on the 15th of February. Um, and you can make contact again through the website for that. Um, if anyone would like to maybe make any sort of a donation or a contribution, fundraising at cc.ie. Um, and there's also a campaign running at the moment on Uplift to chip in to help survivors of intimate and domestic abuse um, to uh, speak out and to run the Freedom Programme. Okay. So um, Uplift has been a partnership that we were introduced to through Rethink, um, Rethink Ireland, um, 
you know, supported us uh, to, you know, and, and gave us an award and has given us lots of mentorship supports through the, the social enterprise development model. Um, and we were an awardee of the Startup Fund. Very good. And that has been absolutely um, life changing for us as a group. You know, yep. we're, we're learning how to mobilise and uh and get active. Good. I'm going to leave it there for today, Marie, for no, or Mary Louise, uh, for no reason other than time. Uh, cc.ie is the website, and thank you for that. And right across the country, people are outraged at the death of Ashling Murphy in Tullamore. Change we know is urgently needed in attitudes towards women. It's no longer acceptable for any of us to just stand idly and silently by. We must act. And Cork's 96 FM and the Irish Sun has launched a campaign asking you to call out unacceptable words or actions that show disrespect to women. Because it's only when we all act together we can make a meaningful change. Join us here at Cork's 96 FM and call it out. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Give it a heads up earlier on the new parking fines today. Park on a footpath or on a cycle lane or on a bus lane. From today, the fine is 80 euro. And I was throwing it out there, am I the only one who thinks that eventually they'll click them all up to 80 euro? This is just softening us up for that. That's kind of what I believe. There is a very much an anti-motorist vibe out there at the moment, I have to say. And when they have a public transport system that works for us all and a public transport system that is efficient for everybody, and I speak as someone who is lucky enough to live on two outstanding bus routes, and it's quite easy for me to get a bus to work when the weather is suitable. It is, you know, but many, many people are not like me. Barry says parking in a disabled space without a permit, that should be a clamp and a hundred euro and a release fee, shouldn't it? Well, you see, if you clamp it, Barry, no one can move the car on until the clamp is taken off. Uh, but the hundred euro fine, I think people might agree with you there. Brian says, I live in Granabraher and you know there are narrow roads up there and all the residents park up in the footpaths. Are they under threat of parking fines? Asking for a friend. Well, Brian, as far as I know, if they are streets that are under the remit of the council, like if they are a disc parking area, or they are likely to get those uh, parking fines if they park in the footpath. If, if If it comes under the council charge, as in disc parking or whatever it is, Yes, they could get, get get fines for that. What about people parking in taxi ranks? That should come under the new rules as well, says Denise. The council have a parking space. Someone said 460 parking spaces for their staff. Wouldn't they be handy for shoppers? Tis true, tis true. 0818 96 96 96. A few comments in on the leaving cert, which I will get to in a few minutes' time. But we were talking about passports earlier on, and, and we might pursue it a bit more with my next contributor but there's a major change today in the EU travel situation 
And it seems to be as black and white that from today, unless you have a booster pass, as in a COVID vaccine digital booster pass that shows you've had not just your two jabs, but your third, your booster, you won't be able to travel within the EU. I'm wondering, is it as black as white as that? Pat Dawson, Chief Exec of the Irish Travel Agents Association. Pat, is it as black and white as that? Good morning. Uh, good morning, PJ. Well, it's it's uh, not quite black, but uh, you can travel if you get a, uh, you know, a test uh, going outbound and inbound, but that's going to cost you whatever it is, 150, 200 euros, depending on, on where you're going to as such. Uh, and that would clear you. But uh, as you say, the new rule is in, there's about 600,000 people in the country who haven't got the, the, the booster. And most of those are the younger generation. Most older generation have, have done it. Uh, you know, December, January, whatever it is. So uh, you're you're good to go once you have it. And we would advise people. There's hassle sometimes when you're abroad. Uh, I experienced a bit in Spain and in the states getting a place and seeing that it's available and stuff like that. So look at uh, you know, your, your booster saves an awful lot of money and an awful lot of grief. Yeah. How long is this going to be the the situation? Do you think, Pat? We're told, PJ, that it's there for a long, long time on, until that, if we're ever rid of the word COVID as such, but uh, in the foreseeable as such. Now, you know, uh, we didn't think we needed a booster and then we got a booster. Will we be getting a second booster or whatever it is down the road? Who knows? But uh, but certainly for the time being and certainly for the, for the rest of this year, uh, the booster, be it one or two, will be in situ uh, uh, until... Uh, I couldn't even give you an end date on it. So you have to have either an up-to-date vaccine pass, including your booster, or uh, PCR stroke antigen tests. And which is it? Is it PCR or or antigen? It depends on the country you're going to. Uh, It depends, be it the States or whatever else. And the best thing, because it's a movable feast, PJ, I mean, there really is the the DFA.ie website. I have it open here in front of me. And it just says travel advice and it names out all the countries. You click on those, even I can do it, and you get all the information. So I wouldn't second guess it. What I'm saying today, what's there next week or you're saying next week sure. could change. But I, I would say just to be sure, because the last thing we want is someone going uh, with a piece of paper that's, uh, uh, and I've seen it, I've seen it uh, in my travels in the recent months uh, where where uh, where people uh, couldn't board a flight. And that's a disaster. So. Mm. Just be careful, and uh, if you're booking with a, a Cork travel agent, he or she will give you up-to-date advice. Yeah. Um, here's a, a query from, from a listener. Um, just wondering, with the new travel rules, how does it affect a 15-year-old who can't get a booster as 16 is currently the minimum age to get this? Will there be a problem? Well, they need to contact the HSC and, and get advice on that. I... I, I to be truthful answer to that, I honestly don't know okay. the answer to okay. that question as such. Uh, but they certainly need uh, special advice on that. Okay. Briefly in terms of passports, um, the, the Department of Foreign Affairs website says this morning that for a paper passport, it's eight weeks now minimum. I would imagine it's an awful lot longer. The online, they say 10 working days. We know there's a massive backlog in the system. I would suggest, Pat, that if someone is looking at going on holidays in July or June or August, they should be putting in their paperwork now. 
I agree. We just have, we had, uh, and PJ, you know, I've been going on about this for months and months, all, all last year. Uh, I had a meeting with the Department of Foreign Affairs and there were people for the passport office on, online, eight or nine of them, uh, including the DFA people. And I just cannot understand it. Um, in, in Cork or in Dublin, you only can, you only can uh, talk to a passport uh, uh, officer uh, by appointment only. I mean, I cannot understand why the Cork office is not opened. Yeah. Socially distanced, the Dublin office is the same. I just cannot understand it. There are seven or 800 people working in the passport department. There are another 500 coming on, on board in the next couple of uh, months. I mean, I mean, it's disgraceful that it's not sorted out. This has been flagged. You've flagged it. We all have flagged it. And they still haven't got around it. Why? Uh, if you look at an appointment in, in, the, in the Cork office, how many, and it's probably staggered half an hour, 45 minutes. So you're going to see maybe in, in a working day uh, with lunchtime, you're going to see 10 or 12 people a day in a huge big office in the, in the centre of, of Cork City. I mean, why, like other like uh, social services offices, uh, which I saw pa- passing on the bus the other day, uh, acute going in socially distance, why can they not open it? Like the rest of us are all back in work, we're working hard. What's the difference between people in the passport office and Joe Public? Quick question. Do you know the answer to this? Because I think I do, but maybe I'm not. Maybe I Yesterday, uh, a local TD, Thomas Gould, was calling for the uh, installation of a printing press in the Cork office for passports. I thought there was one there. Do you happen to know, Pat? I don't know. I, I, um, I'm not too sure. I, I think most, uh, I think most stuff uh, goes up to Dublin. Yeah. I, I couldn't swear to you. I okay. truthfully cannot give you an honest answer. But I, I, I think uh, a lot of stuff goes up to HQ in Dublin. Again, I, I'm not sure. Because that, doesn't make, I mean, any, that it, doesn't make any sense either. I mean, if you have a big passport no. office down the middle of town and there's no printing press there, that is bonkers. Ab- ab- absolutely. It should be self-sufficient, stand on itself and not depend uh, on any office in Dublin. And, and really, you know, this is two and two makes four. It's not a big problem. You, you don't have to be a genius to work it out. <clears throat> and it's the mindset of, of, of all those people working in the past office. I mean, Peter, it's six, seven hundred people, and we have this log. What are they doing? Yeah, yeah. Lastly, coming back to the, uh, the, pa- the COVID <clears throat> passes and stuff, what about recovery starts? I'm travelling to Cork in two yeah. weeks, says Audrey in Germany. Will I need a test? Uh, if you have a recovery cert, uh, and you, you should be able to get that, the HSC will give you that. Uh, your recovery cert is, is good. You're good to go with the recovery cert. Yeah. My passport is expiring in July. Do I need to renew it? Yes, I'd say renew it, start renewing it now. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, and you know, the automatic passports give credit for credit is due. As you said, 10-day turnaround, it's excellent. And we praise everything that's good. You you would would wonder, wouldn't you, why they can't do that across the board? They can do it so efficiently with the online, why they can't do it across the board. Pat, thank you very much. Pat Dawson, Chief Executive of the Irish Travel Agents Association. From today, you either have to have your booster or you have to have a recovery cert or you have to have either a PCR or an antigen test to travel to your individual country of choice. That's from today. 0818 96 96 96. On the new fines, Rory's called the opinion on. Hi, Rory. PJ, how are you, bye? Good, good. What do you want to say, sir? Um, PJ, query for you. When is a bus lane? Not a bus lane. That's a very That's good a question. Joke. That's not a joke, by the way. 
That's a very good question. Right. If you're travelling from Wilton Roundabout towards Denny's Cross, mm. you have you have what they call a bus lane, and you have a traffic lane. Mm. Right. I was losing too much time. I do hospital supplies. I was losing too much time up and down the road. So I decided I'm going to ring Anglesey Street. They put me on to Ballincolig. I was talking to a sergeant in Ballincolig who was in charge of the traffic and the roads. And he explained to me that up by the CUH, where the buses and the ambulance go in, just by the roundabout, there's a big sign up there and it says, Lewin Aina, Monday to Friday, half seven to half nine, half past four to half past six. Mm. Outside of those hours, it's a traffic lane. Mm. But yes, when you come around the roundabout, Wilton roundabout, the traffic is from Denny's Cross all the way back up with not one person travelling in the left-hand lane. Now, I would suggest, Rory, that in terms of parking, one shouldn't park in that lane at any well, time. Well, this is, this, is, this is a catch-20. And if I was to park there and get a ticket, I will contest it in the courts for a simple reason. It's not a bus lane from half past nine until half past four. Sure. The signs are up there. But it's a traffic lane, though. It's a traffic lane, not a bus lane. And the new law says if you park in a bus lane... Oh, I get you now. It's not a bus lane from half past nine to half past four. So if you're a courier, UPS, Nightline, Fastway, DPD, who do multiple house drops, and I see them every day up and down the Wilton Road... Yeah. And they're, and they're parked there, delivering into house after house after house. Yeah. I got you now. I got now, you now. there's a catch-20 for you. If you're a driver and you park there, and and believe it or not, I, I tell you off here, a bus driver came down a few months back and there was a courier parked at half past two in the afternoon delivering to a house. The bus driver got out of his bus. As soon as the driver went away, the bus driver got out of the bus Went to your man's van, took the keys out. Careful now, don't, say, don't say anything. I'm not, mentioning none, I'm not mentioning no company. Don't, no, no, but no. I, I wouldn't be closing. To get, don't, don't even hint at anything, for goodness sake, Rory. The guy was parked there for two hours. To be honest, it shouldn't be done at all. But, um, yeah, I got you, Rory. Uh, thanks for that. 0818. 96, 96, 96. But I appreciate your call, and it's confusing. When is the bus lane not a bus lane? Sometime between 9 and 4, or whatever. Do you get his, do you get his problem? On the subject of the leaving search, it's easy for Mick to take the side of the students when he's on the outside looking in for the government. It's not that easy to just agree with what people want. Who would want to sit the leaving search? I didn't years ago, but tough I had to. There's never a circumstance that makes it harder or easier. Mick is always going against the government. For once, could he just see their point of view? On Twitter, Michael says a decision has been made. It's time to accept that decision and let the students concentrate on studying for their exams. They've had way too many distractions. On Kevin says they released this on transfer deadline day after the news online through Twitter. Tell me you're hiding without telling me you're hiding. Norma Foley won't be available for comment till the next lot of polls are out. Jerry is sorry for the students but worried about favouritism and that hurts students too. The written exam is nothing if not fair with no way to exercise favouritism and maybe 
It's for the best. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Courts 96FM uh, Fans of the Premier League show at the weekends with Trevor Welsh powered by TalkSport it's on a break at the moment it's back on Saturday week the 12th of February with live commentary from all the big games and exclusive interviews that's when it returns Saturday week the, f- the 12th of February the Premier League live online with now stream live Premier League action with a now sports or sports extra membership and listen on Saturdays on the Cork's 96FM app or at 96FM.ie back on the 12th of February uh, this week is the 5th of February and I'm headed for the rugby heading up Saturday for the rugby so looking forward to having been in a stadium in Yonks so looking forward to it. 0818 96 96 96. Now, I often laugh and joke about the whole spring and St. Bridges and the 1st of February day and all of that. And I'm one of these people who believes firmly that spring begins on the 1st of March. But there are many, many people say that today is the 1st of spring. Let us try to start out the argument. Jessica Vaughan is an Irish witch based in Limerick, practices what she calls traditional Irish Celtic witchcraft, a nature-based religious practice. And indeed, we've we've spoken before. This is the, the festival of Imbolc, isn't it, Jessica? Good morning to you. Good morning. Yes, it is Imbolc. So it's one of the four fire festivals. I think the last time we had a chat, it was about Samhain. So Samhain would have been just before... Um, winter. That's right. So the whole point of Imbolg then is that you're coming out of winter, the days start to get a little bit longer and a bit warmer and it's a very like fertile time of year so it's a whole celebration of spring, of like life coming back into the world um, life coming back into you as well because it is about following the natural cycles of the world and living in tune with nature mm. and it's also a celebration of animals, of women to be honest, the traditional um, Celtic spiritual traditions have almost everything in common with the Catholic version of the holiday anyway. You've explained actually the whole uh, February versus March ex- uh, argument there to me very well. If, you, if my understanding of Imbolg is it's, it's a festival celebrating the build-up of, to, to spring, where, as you say, yeah. within another couple of Within another week, it'll start to get, you'll start to notice the brightness in the mornings. Already the evenings are a little bit longer. So we're building up to spring throughout Imbol, yeah. February. Yeah. Absolutely. Because you do have the equinox as well, would be in the middle of March. That's, that's correct, when yeah. you have the equal amount of light and darkness in the day. Yeah, that's around the 19th of March, best. I think. Yeah. Yeah, but it's just Imbolg is more the arrival of spring, not that you're in the climax of it yeah, completely. It's a, actually, it's a bit like, isn't it? It's a bit like Samhain in a way, Jessica, isn't it? In that Samhain is November and we build up to the start of winter in December. Yeah. With, yeah, the, with, the, with, with the solstice in the middle of December or the 21st of December. Yeah. And even like personally, I don't really see the festivals as just being like one day on their own. I think they peak on the one day that you might have like your celebration or your ritual, whatever you want to do for it. But I do consider them to be more of seasons rather than just one day day on their own. You've explained a debate that I've been having with my listeners for ages, Jessica, and thank you. (laughs) Thank you. 
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Thank you so much for doing that. So how, how do you mark Imbolg or the start of the festival? Uh, so on the eve of Imbolg, I'll tend to a flame for the night. So once the sun sets, I'll light a fire. Now, I didn't actually get to light a fire this year. Um, just my fireplace needs to be resealed. So I actually just used a really big candle in place of that okay. because we just have to make do with what we have. Um, so I had that lighting for the whole night. And today... I'll just be cleaning my house. Um, I'll make a Bridges Cross later on in the afternoon and I'll probably bake some cookies or something like that because Imbolg is also the festival of the home and domesticity. Yeah. So it's just doing things that kind of play into the theme of the festival itself. Yeah. There was a tradition, I, saw, I, I to be honest, I'd forgotten about it. I saw it as a child, but a lot of people last night were putting up pictures of hanging out a scarf or, or, or something um, the night before St. Bridget's Day. Is that scarf now that that yeah. would be new to me. I haven't heard of that one now myself. Um, yeah, it would be the fire on the eve of Bridges Day would be the one I'd be familiar with. Yeah. Um, and that's something that the saint and the goddess both have in common. So right. obviously we all know that the saint has nuns tending to a flame sure. um, in Kildare. But in pre-Christian Ireland, there was also um, priestesses would gather yeah. um, on the eve of Imbolg in Kildare and they all light flames in honour of the goddess. You, you mentioned, you've mentioned St. Bridget and the goddess. What was the name of the goddess, Jessica? Bridget. Oh, really? Oh, the same. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So there is obviously debate of whether this Saint Bridget like genuinely was a real person or was she just put in place by the Catholic Church in order to replace the goddess because... They share so so much in common. Um, I think that she probably was a real person because Bridget was such a popular um, girl's name back mm. in the day because of the goddess originally. Um, but I think it's really interesting to note that the nun who was supposed to have taken over from the Saint Bridget after her death, her name was Darla Daka. And that translates as a daughter of Lou. And Lou is another ancient Celtic Irish god. And his holiday, Lunasa, which lends its name to um, August in Irish, uh, his holiday directly opposes Bridget's on the wheel of the year. So I do think that's really interesting. Yeah, and it all ties in because there are also people who, who, who think that autumn begins in August based on old Celtic tradition an old Celtic preparation, yeah. and there's Lou, stroke Lunasa, right in the middle of all. It all ties in, doesn't it, Jessica? Yeah, absolutely. So much of, uh, like, just the general, like, Irish traditions, like Bonfire Night and everything, like, so much of it has actually carried on and has survived throughout the centuries, which is lovely to see. It's just not in the same way that it was, obviously, thousands of years ago. Okay. So today, the 1st of February, is the Feast of St. Bridget, and it is Imbolg, which is the old Celtic Celtic festival of preparation for spring. Yeah, more so the arrival of spring, but yeah. Okay. All right. Jessica, great to talk to you. Jessica Vaughan, which based in Limerick, practicing Irish Celtic witchcraft and the old 
the old ways. Thank you, Jessica. 0818 96 96 96. Uh, Anne says, so nice to hear the Celtic traditions of today, on the other side of today, away from the cross. Nothing wrong with that. I just love hearing the traditional origin for the Irish story. Mick, I was only saying last night, there is a stretch in the evenings. There is a stretch in the evenings, Mick. There is. And in about another two weeks, maybe maybe even less, but you'll notice now from this week on, you'll start to see light a couple of minutes earlier every morning. I spotted it actually just yesterday. As I was walking up the hill after parking the car, uh, I started noticing the first splinks of light in the morning sky. And in another couple of weeks, you'll really begin to notice it. And by the end of February, it'll be bright at maybe 7 o'clock, 5, 10 past 7. And I just I just love that. I love that time of year. Uh, you're dead right with spring this year. The March equinox happens on Sunday, March 20th. Then it is spring. Anybody who was up early this morning will tell you that breeze was a winter breeze, not a spring breeze. Look, the debate will go on. For me, the 1st of March will always be the 1st of spring. Jessica has explained very well why some people see February as the start of spring. Bernie says, PJ, today is the 1st of spring. That's kind of tough. Well, unfortunately, science says differently, Bernie. We, the, the argument could go on. <laughs> And I don't like, I never fall out with anybody about it. But I love spring. Spring is my favourite season of the year. I, I really, really love spring. And for me, spring starts in March. Uh, Carla says this is a science versus religion story. And a bit of folklore thrown in. You're not wrong. Uh, Margaret, what, Mags, what have you put up on there? I'm going to have to open that link now to see what we've put up. Mags has put in... Oh, oh yeah, putting out cloths or scarves, that's right. Uh, we were always told they had healing power if they got the, the saint's blessing. Yeah, nice little traditions, nothing wrong with them at all. 0818 96 96 96. First of spring, it's a month away, lads. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Side. Hi, it's Michael with an update on Cork's entertainment. Scottish pop rock sensations Texas are pleased to announce a headline show at the Opera House taking place on February 9th. The band are celebrating 30 years of Southside and will be playing their debut album in its entirety plus all the hits over the years. Access all areas. Arthur Miller's The Crucible is a powerfully disturbing account of the Salem witch trials which took place in Massachusetts in the 17th century. Old productions present their profoundly intense and darkly energetic recreation of Miller's classic tale coming to the Everyman Theatre on the 23rd and 24th of February. Access all areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or gig coming up or any live stream events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie Access all areas Your guide to nightlife on the side On Cork's 96FM Just to remind you again as Pat Dawson said with regard to the travel situation from today on if you want to travel in the EU from today on you should have your booster your booster cert and you'll get it sent down and all that, your booster. You should have your booster or you should have a recovery cert, which you can get. They'll accept that. If you don't, 
have a booster and if for some reason you're not going to get a booster or you can't get a booster, if you're one of those people who can't get a booster, then you need to do, look up the country, look up whatever country you want to go to and see what their entry requirements are. There's a very good app which was called, uh, um, or it was... Uh, it was an EU one. Um, I get it. I get it. Sorry, I'm forgetting it completely. But it's a very good app. It has every country in the EU listed and what you need to get in and you need to get out. But Pat's advice this morning was get your booster if you want to travel. And if you're going on holidays in the summertime and anyone has a passport that there might be any kind of difficulty with at all, Start applying now. Yeah, that app, it's so stupid of me to forget it. That app is Reopen EU. Reopen EU. And it's got all of the up-to-date information from right across the EU of the conditions and the limitations that are there and the restrictions, if there are any, that, that are there and testing requirements and certificate requirements. So Reopen EU is the app. It's a very good and very well-organized app. Uh, 0818 96, 96, 96. Monica's confused. Is it spring or not? Monica, okay. Folklore, religion and Celtic history says today is the start of spring. Science says March is the start of spring. So I like to try and compromise, having had a very interesting conversation with Jessica, that today is the start of the run-up to spring. So there you go. There's a, yeah, we'll come back to it. 0818 96 96 96. Now, do you ever grind your teeth or in your sleep? Or do you know anybody who grinds their teeth in their sleep? Uh, and do you, does a partner or a loved one or a child grind their teeth in their sleep? Or has anyone ever said to you, come here, you grind your teeth something terrible in your sleep? I wonder why. That happens. And I wonder, could it cause problems? Eamon Murphy is a dentist in Douglas, uh, specialising in disorders of the jaw. Eamon, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Good to have you on the programme. It's an interesting one, isn't it? You you discovered about people quite by surprise. Someone falls asleep and they start grinding. Why, first of all, do we start to grind our teeth when we fall asleep? Well, it's 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 multifactorial, PJ. There's lots of factors. Um, there's genetic factors. There's dietary factors. Um, but the big factor, to, the big factor today is stress. A lot of people will hold a lot of tension in their jaw, and they will grind at night, and they will clench their jaw muscles during the day. And how? I mean, do we know we're doing it, or is it entirely unconscious to the person who's asleep? Oh, it's typically completely. Uh, subconscious. Most people who grind are not at all aware that they would grind. It only becomes a problem for the most part because the sleep partner cannot get good quality sleep because they're listening to it. Yes. Um, the symptoms then are, are hugely varied. So some people who grind and it, it's important I guess PJ to distinguish between tooth grinding from jaw clenching. Um, tooth grinding occurs typically during sleep where a lot of people will internalise a lot of tension in their jaw during the day and the, the net effect is you can overload your jaw or you can overload your teeth and it can be quite significant some patients who grind they'll develop and generate so much force 
between their teeth that they can crack a tooth, a perfectly healthy tooth. Really? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I wonder uh, you wouldn't wake up if you're clenching so hard. And some people will. So when, when, when it becomes quite... When the forces become quite significant, some people will wake up with a, with tension in their jaw. They might wake up with a headache in their... Yeah. A headache or pressure in their jaw. So if it's pointed out to you, or if, like you said, the pressure wakes you up, if it's pointed out to you, how do you go about tackling it? Do you have to get to the bottom of why first? Uh, yeah, it's all about understanding the condition. So in some cases, there is a very clear genetic component and and there are many members of certain families who will all grind their teeth. And there's so they possess the gene for tooth grinding or bruxism and, and they'll all grind. More recently, stress has become a big issue and a lot of people are grinding because of they hold tension in their jaw. Some people hold tension in their neck, other people hold tension in their back and okay. some people hold tension in their jaw. So this is kind of the, the body's way of trying to ring it out as it were during the night. Uh, absolutely. And you know, thankfully most people don't have any major clinical symptoms, but some people will develop, you know, some people will develop a lot of pain. Some people will crack multiple teeth. Mm. Some people will develop, you know, uh, problems with the mechanics of the jaw. The jaw might click. They might develop limited opening. The jaw might lock. Mm. You could develop problems in what they call the TMJ, couldn't you? The temporomandibular joint, that hinge. Yes. So the the TMJ is the jaw joint. Um, And it sits right in front of the ear. And when you clinch, typically when you clinch, you generate a lot of pressure in that joint. Mm. And a lot of people who develop problems with the TMJ, the difficulty is making the diagnosis because it's so close to the ear that it can be, it can kind of masquerade as an ear problem or an ear infection. A lot of my patients would, they would, by the time they get to me, they've already been in with their GP thinking that they have an ear infection. So, it's important then to differentiate kind of TMJ pain from ear pain. Isn't there a little bit, and I, I know a small bit about this because I have a chiropractor who who, who studies the TMJ as, as part of what she does, but like, isn't there a ball of muscle around the joint and that can get sore and you might confuse it with an ear infection? Absolutely. So yeah, the jaw muscles um, extend down into the jaw from the TMJ and up into the temple and Again, when the jaw muscles get tender, you can get a pain in your jaw or you yeah. can get a headache. Yeah. Um, wow. So can you prevent grinding or can you stop it? In a word, no, but you can manage it. You can manage it by, you know, number one, you've got to manage the daytime behavior. So if somebody is subconsciously tensing their jaw muscles during the day, you have to make them aware of the behavior. They need to recognize what's considered normal. Yeah. They need to recognize when they are clenching so that they can limit the clenching. And, and daytime clenching is manageable. Mm. Mm. So if it's if it's purely a nighttime grinding problem and there is a lot of symptoms from the nighttime activity, sometimes we would fit a jaw splint, especially if somebody is cracking multiple teeth. Mm. Mm. Crikey, I can't imagine how painful that must be. Yes, and and obviously then the the condition is very much influenced by environmental factors and 
without question COVID has had a huge effect on the, the psychosocial environment and some people who would have been mild clinchers or mild grinders pre-COVID, yeah. they're now developing more symptoms because That's... but all of this is manageable and it's yeah. it's manageable, you know, you know, we, introducing daytime behavior strategies, introducing simple jaw specific relaxation strategies. And it all depends on the severity of the condition. So most people, thankfully, have mild symptoms. Yeah, yeah. But some people will develop more severe symptoms. And as the severity increases, the the challenge to treatment increases. And we, we need to use more tools then to manage those kind of more severe and chronic cases. Right, right. Uh, here's uh, just some uh, comments come in. My daughter actually keeps us awake if you're anywhere near her. Um, her gr- she grinds. Is that, is that is that normal? Is is noise normal, as it were? Noise is very normal, especially in young children. You know, the studies would show that you know fifty to ninety percent of children grind their teeth. It's very common in children, but thankfully, there's no cause for alarm because most children will outgrow the habit. Oh, really? Okay. Thankfully, yeah. So most children will 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 grow out of the habit and. Okay. It's only when symptoms develop during the teenage years that most, you know, typically when young children grind their teeth and you're listening to the grinding at night, mm. very rarely will young children develop symptoms. It's quite, it would be very unusual. Now, they might develop signs such as wear on their teeth, but it's their baby teeth typically. And generally, those teeth are poorly innervated, so they're not going to develop a lot of tooth sensitivity or, or jaw pain. Thankfully, I have you. I have you. I have you. It's the adult teeth you need to you need to watch. Um, now, is it associated in any way, Eamon, with sleep apnea? We discussed a lot of sleep about sleep apnea on the program last year, and a listener just on on the on the phone there wondering has it any connection to sleep apnea? Sure. Well, it's it's multifactorial, and anything that can disturb sleep quality, such as sleep apnea. Uh, can contribute to sleep bruxism, the nighttime sleep grinding. So for the most part, what I think you're telling me, especially in children, for the most part, it isn't anything to really worry about, just to be kept an eye on. Absolutely. And if you're concerned, obviously contact your dentist, I guess. Absolutely. And it typically is something that would be monitored. and, And once patients, I guess, understand the condition and understand that, their child will not develop symptoms, usually that's all that needs to be done. Yeah. It's only when, you know, it's only when the permanent teeth are being damaged. It's only when patients are developing pains in their jaw yeah. or they're cracking fillings. Yeah. I remember that when treatment we did, isn't. When we, uh, cracking fillings, oh God, I, I never have a mouthful of them, so I, I know what that one would be, would be like if you had. If be, like, we talked about apnea last year, Eamon, and I was amazed at how the subject snowballed and how many people were affected by it. Would it be something similar with grinding in that we genuinely don't realise how many people grind almost habitually? Oh, absolutely. 100% TJ. Sleep, you know, sleep apnea is quite prevalent in the general population. A lot of patients aren't aware that they would have it. You know, they might have daytime fatigue. They might put it down to being busy at work. Mm. Um, they, you know, they, they might also be snorers and you know, they may always have been a snorer and they may think that's normal but you're right, you know, 
sleep apnea, sleep bruxism or sleep grinding are quite prevalent in the general population. Mm. Um, and a lot of people who have sleep grinding or tooth grinding, uh, was- they would have had it for a long period of time and they may not have, they may not have, they may not have any symptoms from it, so they may not give it any major I got you. consideration. Yeah. There was a, and I think it's probably a, a, an old wives' tale uh, that if a child grinds, they won't ever snore. I think that's a myth, is it? Uh, that's yeah, that's a myth. Yeah, yeah. And there was another myth actually, PJ, that um, if a child grinds, you would give them a warm dose. Um, oh yeah, I remember yes. that one. Yes. I remember that so, one. Mm, so, so, um, you know, and, and that was very common, and that was quite, you know, quite common. Uh, that you know, I've heard, I've had patients who've come to me and they've given their children a warm dose because they've been listening to excessive grinding at night. Crikey! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you say, like you say, it's it's rare in children, and and they usually do. Or it's common enough, but they usually do grow out of it, and it's only when the adult teeth arrive that you you might need to be in any way worried about it. If you are worried about it, I take it a visit to the dentist is is the first port of call. Yeah, the dentist is the first port of call, and generally the dentist will give good advice and they'll assess the problem, um, and and, and instigate some you know treatments, um, but. Yeah, the dentist is always the first port to call. So what kind of ways would, I mean, if, if someone had a problem and like you say, were, were snapping fillings or, or even worse still, cracking or breaking teeth, like how do you go about dealing with that? Where do you start? Well, the first thing is you have to introduce a very structured daytime kind of behavioural program. The, 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 the person needs to recognise what's considered a kind of a relaxed jaw. And the difficulty is a lot of us hold tremendous tension in our jaws without being aware of it. Mm. We only become aware of the problem when we develop symptoms and it's kind of almost too late. So introducing a daytime program, jaw stretching exercises, using simple relaxation strategies for the jaw during the day. But if they are cracking teeth or cracking fillings, generally the recommendation is that they would wear a, a jaw splint. And a jaw splint is essentially a removable brace that they would wear over their teeth. So as opposed to grinding down on their teeth and cracking their teeth, they would grind down on the splint at night. That sounds like it's very uncomfortable. Yeah, well, you know, most patients will get comfortable. We get used to it. It's a bit like a sports guard, but it's kind of more heavy duty. Yeah, yeah, and it just just to keep you from from damaging your teeth. Could could swollen gums be a symptom? Um. Swollen gums, typically not, but you can get, like if somebody clenches aggressively and the forces are through the teeth into the gums, it's not at all uncommon for patients who clench aggressively to get a pain in their gums. Yeah, yeah. Um, like that, that if, you're grum, if, you're, if you have a swollen or a sore gum, that you might clench it to try and relieve pressure sure, or something. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Sure that can happen and, and again, clenching though, isn't it? That's that's Yeah, you're you're reacting to this you're reacting to the to the swollen gum by kind of clenching your jaw. Um that wouldn't be uncommon. And and again, reactive clenching, people with kind of chronic pain, let's say chronic back pain or chronic pain in other parts of their body, because they're in pain, they might then 
consciously clenched her jaw because of the pain elsewhere in the body and that, and that, that wouldn't be uncommon either. Has Botox ever been used to treat clenching? Botox, yeah, you know, Botox is one of those things that has been used to treat lots of things now. Um, yeah, um, you know, it is and it, it would be used in the management of kind of more refractory clenching or grinding. What's it that certainly mean? wouldn't be... Well, it, it wouldn't be first line PJ. It wouldn't be second line. Sure. You know, you, you always do the simple treatments first of all. Sure. Um, um, and but there certainly is a there certainly is a a place for Botox in the management of some of the more chronic and refractory kind of tension and grinding problems. This is where a person is doing damage and and painful damage. And and when they have been treated with the more conservative behavioural strategies, first of all. Gotcha. They have more. Lastly, uh, Eamon, and thank you very much for your time. Someone's saying here, would would a, would a, a mild dose of Valium help if it's stress-based? Uh, for sure, you know. Now, we don't like to use kind of the, the Valium as a benzodiazepine. We don't like to use medications like sure, that on, a, sure. on an ongoing basis. But certainly if somebody, um, let's say if somebody had uh, like, for instance, I had a patient who was getting married there a couple of weeks ago, PJ, and she was clenching really aggressively. She was quite distressed. She had a lot of pain. And time was of essence, and I didn't really have a, a huge amount of time to um, to introduce a more structured kind of treatment program. But in a case like that, you could put somebody on low-dose Valium just to kind of get them over that gotcha. kind of that yeah. hump and make sure that their jaw is not, yeah. you know, sore on the day of their wedding. But, uh, but long term, you wouldn't use Valium. You know, Eamon, thank you very much for your time this morning. I think it's such a common thing that, uh, a bit like the apnea, we don't realise just how many people do it. And if you are doing it, or if a loved one is doing it, and you're concerned, then contact your de- your dentist for advice. I think that's the that's the message, isn't it? That's the message, absolutely. All right, Eamon, thank you very much for your time. That's uh, Eamon Murphy, he's a dentist based in Dublin, uh, specialises in disorders of the jaw. 0818 My wife says, John, <laughs> my wife is like Jaws next to me at night. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The Premier League Live, powered by Talk Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96fm.ie. The weekend fixtures take a two-week break, so we're back Saturday, February 12th, with some cracking games. The relegation battle is on, and the fight for top four has just begun. Number one, that's the, the Premier League Live. With now, stream live action from BT Sport and Premier Sport with a now Sports Extra membership. Listen every Saturday, exclusively online at 96fm.ie or download Download the Cork's 96FM app. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 966 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96FM.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. So... It would appear that McDonald's have announced that their Shamrock Shake, the green one, will be available from tomorrow, February 2nd, in their restaurants 
nationwide. I've never had that actually. I've never actually had the the Shamrock McDonald's shake. But that doesn't that doesn't normally come out for to celebrate St Patrick's Day, which means it's about six weeks early. But someone is claiming that that is an acknowledgement of the fact that it is spring. No, 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 no. They do that for St Patrick's Day. Mind you, <laughs> trying to drink a McDonald's milkshake with them plant paper straws that actually melt into it. Like, <laughs> Still, no one's got a spoon. <laughs> 0818 96 96 96 apropos of nothing Rose says PJ I posted my Christmas cards on the 1st of December my sister in England called today to say she got it two months later (laughs) to be quicker going to Hawaii yeah you'd be quicker bringing it to Hawaii by hand thanks for that now we got this call or this mention uh, or this message rather before 11 and we 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 checked it out Uh, Aidan was on to say just a quick note to add to the scourge of women being attacked. Last Saturday night, a woman was attacked in Cork by a fella. She ended up in hospital. There was nothing in the media about it. She apparently had some nasty injuries. Well, not all those things make the media, Aidan, but we we did check it. Uh, We got on to Garda Press and Fergal was talking to them before 11 there or during the news and Garda Press has confirmed that an incident of assault occurred in Cork City on January 29th, 2022 at half 11 p.m. Woman in her 20s uh, suffered injuries and was taken to CUH for treatment. Oh, it was Casey. Got on to them. Thanks for that, Casey. Was on to the guy at the press office to verify that. Okay. 0818 96 96 96. But yet another incident of uh, violence against a woman. I was in Cork actually, on, sorry, in the city on Saturday night, uh, just out for a few points with a friend and I just, is it me? Uh, or has the place gotten very rough? Most people were very well behaved and in very good humour and just enjoying the fact that we could go out and have a few drinks again and enjoy some music again and all that, but just me or or are the streets or certain streets are they gone very very rough Uh, I'm not in the centre of town that often to to gauge it I used to be in town an awful lot more than I am I generally just go to Douglas now for me a few scoops or Carrig Line bus down but uh, are the streets of the city gone terrible rough in recent months you tell me, because I'm not in there as often as I used to be. 0818 96 96 96. Are you using sun protection factor or skin protection? Are you using, in other words, sun cream? Now, look out at that there, right? That's a, a bright day. Little splink of sunshine. Hopefully it'll brighten up a bit more in the afternoon. But would you use sun cream today? Personally, I was wondering, What? In February, sun cream, or January, we apparently should be. Ivana Breen, skin expert, joins me. Ivana, good morning. Good morning to you. We should be using sun cream in, in January and February, should we? 
we should 100% um, just because it's not warm doesn't mean that the UV rays aren't penetrating our skin and causing damage within the skin and I think that's the misconception that most people have is that if they're not in Spain or feeling that heat on their skin that their skin isn't going to get burnt and of mm. course it's not going to get burnt on a day like today yeah. but Nonetheless, the UV rays are still penetrating the skin and causing damage. Yeah. I would usually start using it. We have a lovely south-facing deck in the garden, so a spring afternoon when the temperature gets oh, up. Oh, look at you! Right. Yeah, <laughs> when when the spring a spring afternoon when I'm sitting out reading a book, I'll put some I'll put some sun cream on my head or my arms. Just, but I would never think twice about doing it in in January, February. Yeah, I mean, I suppose in January and February, particularly, I don't know what it's like down there today, but here it's kind of a little bit misty. It's a little bit rainy. It's nice actually. It's not sunny. It's bright. Do you know that? It's bright. It's bright, Yeah. 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 Um, so we we tend not to spend as much time outdoors at this time of the year. And of course, the days are shorter. So we just don't think about it. We, you know, if you're working, you get into the car, you go to work or if you're working from home, you feel like you're not going outside. But nonetheless, even if you're working at home, your computer might be right beside a window. The UV rays are penetrating that window and still affecting your skin. Really? If you're, yeah, absolutely. And even if you're driving your car like that 20 minute journey if you are driving into work um, the UV rays are penetrating the windscreen and causing accelerated aging of our skin so where there is light whenever you're in bright daylight or any kind of daylight there are UV rays and those rays have an effect on your skin Mm. and it's the cumulative effect of these constant bits of exposure that ultimately can accelerate our aging and cause Uh, problems for our skin later down the line. You mentioned the fact that just because it doesn't feel warm, uh, you're not getting, you know, because it's the infrared that comes with a sun higher in the sky, isn't it? That's what brings the heat, the warmth. We don't have that right now. Yeah, exactly. There's three types of radiation from sunlight. You've got the visible light that gives us the colours that we can see. You have infrared radiation, and that's the one that gives us the warmth that we feel from the sun. Um, And then we have UV radiation, which we can't see or feel. And it's the UV radiation that is causing the damage. And the visible and infrared radiation doesn't cause skin problems to our skin, but it's the UV light energy that does. And it's absorbed by the skin's DNA and this can influence the skin's normal growth and appearance. This DNA damage can lead to genetic changes and mutations and ultimately can cause cancer. Okay. Now, as well as putting on creams, we can can we adjust our diet to protect us from the sun? We can um, by taking antioxidants. Antioxidants take um, help to protect our skin from UV damage. So foods that are rich in beta carotene and other carotenoids such as lycopene can improve your skin's resilience and protection against UV rays. So you'll get those kind of foods from or those kind of nutrients from carrots, sweet potatoes, pumpkins, spinach, squash, broccoli, mangoes and vitamin E um, is contained in vegetable oils, almonds and nuts. They also protect, help protect our skin from the sun when we're ingesting these. Right, okay. And factor 30, like if you, like for example, I'm going to, 
I'm going to the rugby match on, on Saturday afternoon with my daughter and oh. I'm hoping it'll be a nice day. You're suggesting uh, I should maybe have the old factor 30 on the face. Absolutely. And you want an SPF 30 or above, like the the higher you can go, the better, but it needs to be at least a minimum factor 30 and it needs to be broad spectrum UVA and UVB cover. Um, And really like that, you know, particularly when you're out at a game, like for the couple of hours that you're standing there, you're really exposed. So it is important, not just when you're going out and about, you know, to, to rugby games or, or that, but the, the day-to-day exposure that you are wearing an SPF. Yeah. First, the reason, the real thing here is we need to avoid skin cancer because it is so common. Yes, I mean skin cancer is one of the um, one of the biggest cancers in Ireland, and because of our Irish skin type, we're very vulnerable. That fair Irish skin means that we are more susceptible to uh, getting skin cancers. But also, the, and again, people with um, darker skin types. So if you are someone who tans easily, don't think that you're getting away with it either. You know, it just because you tan and don't freckle or burn the way some people do doesn't mean that you wouldn't get skin cancer. You're less likely to get it but um, the, the risks aren't quite as high as somebody with a paler skin type but you, it, the risk is still still there nonetheless so oh. it is important regardless of your skin type that you do I think a lot of people who have a tan skin kind of go, oh, well, I don't burn, so I'll be okay. Yeah. But any kind of a change in colour in your skin is a scar. So any kind of a tan is a scar for your oh, really? skin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So the the fact that, I mean, in the summertime, because my hands and arms are always exposed to the sun, my hands and arms go nice and brown um, quickly. I have the farmer's tan faster than the farmer's, put it that way. So that's a <laughs> scar. Yeah, so what's happening there is the melanin is this kind of thick tar-like substance in your skin and your skin produces it when it feels like it's been under attack. So if your skin is producing melanin, which is what gives you your colour, what gives you your tan, it means your skin is recognising that those UV rays are dangerous and it wants to protect your underlying dermis from those rays. Okay, all right, listen, good to speak with you today, Ivana Ivana Breen. some, we should be putting on some sun cream even now, even when spring is a month away. I know I keep getting the dig in. We should be putting on some sunscreen, sunscreen even now. Thanks for that, Ivana. 0818-969696. William is a taxi driver and he's not happy with me. He says, PJ, our city is not rough like you're describing. You're putting it down. It's disgraceful what you're doing. I'm disgusted. There were plenty of Gardaí around on Saturday. Why is the media only focusing on women also? There's been plenty of attacks on men, but no one cares about that. Stop putting down the city. But Willem, are you not kind of, kind of, messing your own argument up there? You're saying the city's not rough at all, and yet you tell me there are loads of attacks against men. I've been, and I was only asking the question. I'm not in town as night at night anything like as often as I used to be. Um, and I just noticed Saturday night, even though everybody was in great spirits, I was in a couple of different places and I was enjoying some live music for the first time in Yonks and it was great. It was really was nice to be back out. But I just thought certain areas were a bit on the rough side. 
just got a sense the old hackles were up. Do you know what I mean? You know that sense you get? The hackles at the back of the neck tend to go up. Um, well, thank you, William. Appreciate it. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Every year, you join us to support a very worthy cause. And each time, we're astonished by your amazing generosity. If you need a light to shine it. Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 26th to 28th for Cork Cancer Services. And once again, we're asking you to include us in your diary. Include us in your diary. Start thinking now about fun ways to fundraise. You could also host a coffee break or fill one of our change collector boxes. I'll be everything you want to. I'll be there. The Giving for Living Radiothon. Supporting Cork Cancer Services. May 26th to 28th. Only on Cork's 96 FM. This is the kind of discussion I wanted to start when I put out my my question as to whether the city has gotten rough. Um, William, the taxi driver, was back on just clarifying. He's not saying it's a mixture of men and women getting attacked, but the men aren't reporting it. However, he still feels they're isolated incidents and don't deserve labelling the city as rough. Okay, thanks for that, William. As I said, I'm I'm interested in knowing what people what people think. Another female caller who says she has to walk regularly through the city can tell you it is after getting rough. It's horrible. The only way that we can sort it out is admitting that that is the case. There were always parts of the city, and in my previous life, work at the clubs across town many nights of the week, there were always places that you kind of, you thought twice about going there, or you thought twice about going there on your own. Always. Man or woman, if you had three functioning brain cells, there were places you didn't go, because it was dodgy. But I never felt that kind of way around the main streets, like Oliver Plunkett Street or Patrick Street or the Grand Parade. And just a little personal aside, um, I met my buddy Saturday night. Um, We both got the bus in. He got his bus, I got mine. And we were meeting there by by the fountain. Um, And I just... I was standing... He was a little bit late, so I was standing there for maybe five, ten minutes. And I had my headphones on, just listening to my tunes and just watching what was going on around me. And I was kind of putting my, my journalist's head on. And I then took the headphones off to just make, match the sound with the picture, as it were. And I just felt a bit of aggression, just aggression, negative aggression from the groups that were gathered around the square there. Nothing, nothing intimidating. I mean, I'm a big, big and ugly enough to look after myself, but I just felt it. 0818 96 96 96. Louisa May. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? This is Louisa May Hanrahan of Let's Match 
mums. Now, let's match mums is a wonderful concept. So what I'm going to get to, tell me exactly what it is, because I've no idea where to start explaining it to people. Uh, <laughs> um, well, to put it in simple terms, um, we match mums uh, in direct provision that are in need of baby items okay. with local mums nearby that can pass their baby items on. And we match mums from kids from, you know, from newborn age up to the age of 18 all across Ireland. And who started Especially this? Especially in Cork. <laughs> um, I actually started it. Um, I was working in the area of um, gathering donations to bring to direct provision centres um, and was focusing on collecting uh, baby and kids goods and started noticing that everything was just such high quality and I learned a lot from the mums giving just that like you know some of the items the kid grew too fast they never had a chance to use them or they got given two of something as a present um, and then one day I had a mum say to me, you know, come back to me in six months when my kid's bigger and I'll have more stuff to give you. And it kind of occurred to me, oh, um, the mum who's getting the stuff in six months, her kid will be bigger too. And I might not be able to get it to that direct mom because they're not like once you drop stuff to a centre, you don't really know who gets what item. Mm. And so the idea was spawned like what if we match mums and let them pass on the items between themselves yeah because it's a bit like i guess it's it's sort of like the oldest practice in the book as it were is that you have mums whose kids are two three and four they're growing up and because they grow through the clothes so fast there are black bags full of two-year-old and three-year-old clothes (laughs) and then there's the, the, the neighbor across the road or the cousin or the sister you know, yeah. here, there's a few clothes. Yeah, no, you've obviously been through it yourself. Oh, um, it's an ongoing thing. <laughs> My kids are 24 yeah. and we'd be, we'd be passing down clothes, I'd say, till, <laughs> till I'm 102, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I think that's something um, we realised after starting it was like just tapping into the tradition of what mums and and parents already do. You know, I can remember when I was a kid seeing the bag of stuff being passed on to yeah. my mum's friend and we soon figured out 47% of kids don't have uh, items to like anyone to pass them down to. Yeah. Um, which is just such a shame because, you know, literally tags on um, barely used items just because um, a kid is just growing too quickly out of them. So it makes sense that they should go to a good home, you know? Yeah. There's the other thing too, of course, that fashion being, being what it is, people particularly teenagers, I get slaughtered for this, but particularly teenagers <laughs> will wear something twice and then say, oh, that's ancient. Hang on, it's still perfectly brand new. It's ancient. So that can be... So the idea then, actually there's there's mums in direct provision and youngsters in direct provision that need clothes. So that's how the, that's how the idea came about. Yeah, even it's just, you know, people are nowadays being more conscious of being like sustainable and making sure items, you know, don't go to waste. Um, And also then, you know, um, especially for like the little ones, you know, fashion doesn't even come into it as much then for the babies and stuff. So the mums, you know, don't mind too much 
um, you know, when it's a baby grow, it's it's kind of you're just you have to change them about five, six times a day. So, um, they yeah. you know they're happy. They're not as maybe um, choosy, I suppose, as about the different fashions, which mm. makes it easier to pass items on to. So, so how do you collect them up? Um, so what happens is, is so people go to our website. It's www.letsmatchmoms for anyone listening. Um, dot com, obviously at the end. Um, they go to our website and you can sign up there, and we will match you with a mom um, with a kid slightly younger than yours. Um, if you like, so you can pass on items as your kid grows, or if you're receiving items, you can also sign up on letsmatchmoms.com and we'll match you with a mom with a kid slightly older than yours. So you can, you know, once again, receive items as they grow. Um, and yeah, simply we'll match you. And as long as both of you confirm and, and think it's a good match, then you can go off and, and, uh, organize everything together. Um, yeah, so, so you'd that's kind of you'd kind, kind of, of form a relationship, as it were, or a partnership with yeah. with a mom indirect provision, and it would always be you donating to her kids if if everything is a match. Yeah, exactly. It's literally exactly the same as if you had, you know, just a friend you know that's had a kid slightly younger than yours, and it's actually great for the mums in direct provision because a lot of them have come here on their own with their kids. Mm. So it's kind of giving them a chance to meet a mum in their community. And we hear lots of stories back about friendships that are happening and just, you know, Christmas presents that were given. Um, one of my mums, you know, the mums bought, one of her, her mum matches bought her like a pair of slippers and she was just so like touched. And yeah. it's, yeah, it's a really, it's it's kind of a bit more than even just the passing on of the items. But you know what it does in a lovely way too, Louisa May, even though I think in the last number of years, Years, this has begun to happen sort of organically anyway is we're beginning to realise that the people living in those centres they don't have three legs and two heads they're people, ordinary folk just like us and guess what they're very nice people many of them yeah, <laughs> yeah it's just you know, the thing of like I think it's a lot of people weren't even really fully aware of the situation and mm. Um, or wanted to help but didn't know exactly how. You know, there's lots of great organisations that have been doing various things and a lot of them during the pandemic, you know, people who were hosting events to kind of help mums and families integrate into the community and those events were obviously cancelled due to COVID. And so, yeah, it's like it gives, it's just a different way that you can kind of meet someone and, um Mm. And kind of get involved with helping them come, you know, get involved in a new culture. And yeah. um, it, there's a real like uh, culture of mums just helping mums. Yeah. So yeah. that's what I'm discovering. I'm yeah. actually not a mum myself. Really? I find I'm funny. Just I'll be you so that, prepared. <laughs> yeah, I'll be so prepared if it ever happens. Oh, you won't exactly want you won't want for a stitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. it's actually both my brothers have just had little babies and you know I'm, they're not on the receiving end of them this stuff yeah. but they're seeing me come with buggies and whatever you could end up, yeah, with, life, interesting. Could end up with lifelong <laughs> friendships out of this you could yeah like I feel like I've even got lifelong friendships from it um, and I've learned just like about such uh, you know amazing different cultures you know the people in direct provision come from all over the world and you know from so many different places so yeah I like I I definitely love to hear 
back from people on how they're getting on and um, we've got an amazing community of women in Cork from the direct provision centres that have signed up and actually I feel like I'm become really good friends with one of the women we really just like get along um i won't say her name but she'll know she you know she knows who she is okay. she's listening um, but yeah no there is like definitely i mean that's the thing it's like sometimes you just need an introduction whether it's making friends over doing something you know it doesn't need to directly be like hey you were making friends you know it's giving people an opportunity to just chat okay so let's match mums.com and is there social media yeah, we're at Let's Match Mums on Instagram. Um, and yeah, we have a bit of more information on our Instagram as well. And I, I post various things. Um, and yeah, there's more information on the website too for anyone else. Okay. And our email and contact details are there if you want to ask any questions. All right, really cool. Uh, thanks for being with us today. Louisa May Hanrahan of Let's Match Mums.com. That little tradition of keeping the bag of clothes for the neighbour who's got a new baby or the sister or who's got younger children now doing it for women and kids in direct provision let's match mums.com if you want to know more 0818 96 96 96 on teeth grinding or bruxism to give it its technical name and Marie says, my husband can't sleep. Uh, he's grinding away most nights. And the most he sleeps is two hours a night. He's finding it very hard to function day to day. What can I do to help him? Try your dentist, Anne Marie. Try contacting your dentist as a good first step. That's what Eamon was saying to us anyway, earlier on. On COVID-19 and travel. Hey, PJ, what's the story with COVID certs for England? Going Thursday week, I'm after my booster six weeks ago, but haven't got the COVID cert for the booster, only for the two jabs. I got that last July. You should be able to get that cert for your booster very fast. You should be able to do that very fast. I got my booster and I had the cert in my email about four days later. Um, We've asked Pat Dawson, but... uh, you might be okay. You should, well, you, if you got your booster, you should be okay. You should be able to get your, your cert quite quickly. But we check with, with, with Pat Dawson. You can actually go, the HSE has a website and it has a portal. And if you got your vaccination, you can, you can apply for your cert there. And they'll have it in your email in a matter of a couple of days. So you'll, you'll be all right. Uh, Nick says, PJ... It has been spring since the middle of January. (laughs) The shops all have their Easter goodies on the shelves. And why not, Nick? All these people were complaining about seeing a few cream eggs and and Easter eggs on. Why not? We need a bit of cheer. There's more stuff coming in about the the city. And whether I... Well, as I said, I'm asking your view. I had one evening there, one few hours... um, and for the first time in quite a while, one few hours I spent in town, and I felt it was rough. I felt it was rough, and I'm just asking people's 
views. Something we kind of resolved to do in uh, Coogan Terrace for 2022 was eat more fish. Now, if it swims, I'll eat it. Mrs. is a bit more discerning than that. And if we could get the umfala to understand that it, it, it doesn't have to be wrapped in breadcrumbs to be nice, <laughs> that we'd be doing okay. But one show I love to sit down and watch is Nevin Maguire's Food Trails, and it's in, I think, season four now. And I, I Nevin, good morning to you. I, I, I love this, the, the stuff, the, the, the simplicity of what you do, and then I try it, and like it's like a bombsite, but at the same time, it's a great ah, show. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning, Peter, to you and all your listeners. Um, do you know what? It, it, it's a great thing what you've just said there is that more and more people are enjoying and eating fish and embracing it because going around the country, seeing the wonderful um, chefs, producers, fishermen, and, and and you must remember how hard the fishermen work. Like you're in Cork, you have some of the best food in the world and it's just lovely to go around the country for me as a chef and meet them and experience new new different tastes and techniques and just to see the variety of fish we're, we're catching. It's great to see that. Yeah. The other thing about it is, and as I said, watching the show and, and watching the demonstrations on it, it cooks really fast and, and you, can, you can cook fish quite quickly and it tells you when it's ready. <laughs> it really does. And I mean, it gives you sometimes fish on the bone takes a little bit longer, obviously, but most people, you know, like a pin bone, which means the finer little bones are taken off and a little fillet of hake or haddock mm. or whiting, you know, they're all plentiful, sustainable fish. And you're right, it cooks in minutes. A little bit of butter, you know me and the butter, a bit of rapeseed oil, and a little, you know, it's a great herb, PJ, is fresh thyme, just a little bit of fresh thyme thrown onto the pan when you're pan frying fish. Really? Sure, listen, life doesn't get any better. Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, it's beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous and a squeeze of lemon it's gorgeous you're in food heaven yeah yeah. I, I love to bake it I mean, Mrs. loves to we, we bake wrap it in wrap it in tin foil and bake it baked fish with a lemon inside in it is just uh, the best now you're in Cork for this, this week's episode mm-hmm. we have an action packed uh, show and I love Cork. It's one of my favourite places to visit. And one of our first, one, one of the chef, first chefs we go to is Ashley Moore. And she's in Goldie Restaurant, which is incredible. And she has a very interesting approach. So the whole catch. So she she gets direct from the fishermen and then she creates her menu fresh every day. So she does a beautiful kind of like buttermilk fried hake with some chilli sauce, lime mayonnaise. And just she's very innovative. And I just loved her passion, her knowledge, her love. And it's great to see her getting recognition because she's a super talented young chef and uh, a great little a great little restaurant and when I'm in Cork I certainly will be calling again mm-hmm. You've got someone doing some magic with haddock, now haddock is a, a strange old fish because remember when we had fish on a Friday <laughs> right, yeah. you got you got yellow, yellow haddock but you didn't sometimes because we used to get yellow coley and coley would put anybody off haddock Right, <laughs> but haddock by itself is a gorgeous fish. It's an it's a much underrated fish. So, what did you find? You know, you're absolutely right. And and PJ, when I go on the fishing boats and I ask the fishermen, I said, "What's your favourite fish?" Ninety-nine percent of them say haddock, which is incredible. Some of them say I don't eat fish, but I better not say that. But uh, honestly, so I find that really interesting. So we went to a lovely kind of a restaurant again in Cork City, Good Day Deli, which is absolutely fantastic. And it's a New Zealand chef, uh, Kirsten's his name, and he does a really, really interesting Irish haddock. So it's called Ike Mata. So with lemon, lime, coconut cream, lots of interesting flavours. There's pineapple in there, a little bit of chilli and red onion. So I think the viewers will find his cuisine very, very interesting. 
interesting, yeah. beautiful location. And just as you said, showcasing beautiful Irish Irish haddock. And also he does one with some lovely Irish hake, served with a coriander mayonnaise and then a lovely kind of a raw slaw. So it just shows, I suppose, the way different influences and techniques, you know, are coming through within the whole Irish kind of food scene, which is fantastic to see. That's what it is. It's great to see. Something that I've watching your programme, I've, I've begun to realise, and if you know, when you, when you cook meat, we'll say, Yes, it does. It takes up the flavours of whatever you put in with it. But whatever way it is about fish, fish takes up the flavours of anything you put near it. (laughs) Or am I imagining that? No, you're not. I love it. And you see, you said something very interesting there a minute ago that you bake your fish because a lovely little recipe for baked fish is some lovely uh, wholemeal breadcrumbs, a little bit of orange zest, some lovely um, chopped nuts, like I use pine nuts or pecan nuts, and then some lovely herbs. And you bake that off for about, as you said, 15 minutes and you have it done. So a piece of haddock, a piece of um, hake, filleted and pin boned, and you can eat the skin on. So it does absorb all those lovely flavours and, you know, it works well in curry. So it does, like a monkfish curry I did last week the show mm. but like all the recipes that I've done um, we recorded down in beautiful Ballycotton which is fantastic beautiful part of the world yeah, absolutely gorgeous you're going down to Shanagarry as well <sighs> these are really cool the trawler boys and this is a real family so Patrick is the chef for one of them on board there the trawler boys and it's the really it's, it's probably one of the most coolest food trucks I've ever been in but he makes the most delicious chowder and then he does a seafood spice box. Now I have to say he wouldn't give me the secret recipe for the spice seasoning but it was fantastic and I would so recommend that PJ. It just shows how innovative and creative food trucks are becoming and that the pull up at the beach, Shanagari, brilliant part of the world with Ballymaloo and the rest there but just it was so 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 much fun and just when the viewers see it I think they'll really enjoy it. The chowder was delicious and creamy and he was using lots of lovely kind of fish in it and then the spice seafood box was absolutely Absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you go some places and you get you get chowder, and look, it's 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 whatever was left over from the dinner service. That's not chowder. Chowder, you can put anything into chowder. I agree. And my mother used to make one. I think the key, the key into it is really good smoked fish. Personally, I think so. And as a wonderful producer down in Cork, Sally Barnes, Woodcock, Woodcock Smokery, and she does the most beautiful natural smoked haddock, which I put into our uh, seafood chowder, even to like a smoked haddock risotto in the restaurant. And it's really delicious. So, yeah, of course, you need an oily fish and that can be salmon or beautiful trout. And then you can put in some shellfish. You can put in some white fish like whiting again is a great fish or haddock. So it's a lovely abundance. We always say in Cavan, there's eight and drinking in a chowder because you get oh, lots yeah. of lovely um, potatoes and vegetables and yeah. you can pack it and every chef's chowder is different which I love yes so I do hot, hot brown, brown bread and butter with it you're, you're, oh, you're, you're living the life now I never I mean I would normally if you were having white fish I'd you'd, you'd uh, fish in general but partly white fish you, you'd have a white wine with it why would you drink mead with fish well, it's interesting. Well, I have to say, I learned something. Um, mead, first of all, is the oldest alcoholic drink in the world. Mm. And uh, we went down to Kinsale and, of course, the home of the wonderful Martin Shanahan, Fishy Fishy. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, we were in his, his dirty grave, man. But where they produced the most beautiful uh, mead, which was really, really interesting. And like a date, date, dates back, excuse me, to 16500 uh, before Christ, which is incredible, so it is. So I sampled a couple of different meads, which, which was interesting, a very dry one with a little kind of orange blossom honey, which is a good pairing for oysters, which I found really, really interesting. And then they had a dry mead, so they aged it kind of like in a white board 
port parallel, excuse me, with a tongue twister, and that goes really well with smoked salmon. So this actually works really, really well. So it does. So what they're trying to do is just to to um, to kind of like taste the lovely mead and then the lovely seafood, which was a new experience for me, to be honest with you, PJ, and something I'd never uh, tasted or done before. I've used mead before, but this is a lovely kind of core company who are producing some beautiful, beautiful mead, and they're all very different in colour, in in, in taste, and they all work with different ingredients, Mm. which I find really interesting, yeah. Did you ever come across, before I let you go, this, this, it was an old mad trend here in Cork for a while. People would wrap a piece of salmon, right, in tinfoil, and put it into the dishwasher. Ah, stop. And run the ah, dishwasher at full heat to cook the salmon. I, oh, that's the best one I've ever seen. I tell you, run, yeah, just, mad stuff. You, like. need, you need to bring out a cookbook and put some wash, of wash, wash, the din- wash the dinner there and we'll make tomorrow's one at the same time. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, by the way, how's Miley? Uh, they're all good, thank God. You know, we have a lovely little wee dog now and uh, Roxy, so that we're, we're we're reunited. We lost our dogs, you know, like just literally last week. Yeah. So for uh, Benji, we had them for a couple of years. And, you know, during lockdown and during the whole thing, like, you know, it was, um, you become very attached oh, to them. Just, they kept us Oh, for sing. God's sake, you're, you're absolutely right. So it's lovely. Um, she is a, a, at home now where I'm doing the interview with you, PJ. And, you know, her and Roxy are getting on really well. She's another little monkey. But sure, listen, it makes a family so it does. And she'll be spoiled with lots of love and happiness and good memories here. You're eating fish too, maybe. Never <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, lovely speaking to you on the opinion now. The great uh, Nevin Maguire. There are many, many cookery shows on television. Many of them. Some of them terrible, some of them brilliant. I love Nevin's show, particularly his fish stuff. And so good to have him on the opinion line. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Cork's 96FM. I almost forgot to mention, uh, it's been a busy morning. I always, I'm delighted for the guy uh, who invented Wordle. It's that wonderful game that has taken the world by storm. He invented it just as a pastime for his partner. And now it's been sold to the New York Times for mega bucks. I'm delighted for the guy. Some people were going on as, oh, he's selling his soul. He, he's invented something for his partner and it's after making the mega bucks. I think we wish, wish the man well. Absolutely delighted to see it. I love Wordle. Would I pay for it? I'm not so sure. But then again, I have a subscription to the New York Times anyway, so presumably it'll be free with that. On the city, Anto says Cork City has become very unsafe, avoiding it every possible chance. What's more terrifying is the fact that the guards and local authorities don't seem to be doing anything about it. There are no consequences. I just don't feel safe. That's a longer comment. We'll put it into tomorrow, Fergal. I'll come back to it because this one's after taken off a little bit. My husband went to town Saturday night, PJ, to pick up our son and some friends. It was around half twelve he said the Grand Parade was shocking. He's a grown man and said it was frightening to see groups out fighting and people not knowing where they were. And Stuart on Twitter with regard to grinding teeth says, I've broken molars five times and had one surgical extraction, teeth grinding from anxiety during the pandemic and from borderline depression. The dentist made me a night guard 
to protect them now. Sorry to hear that, Stuart. Right, lastly and quickly, we go to John Armstrong of the Cork Nature Network. We were talking about the Kin Project and the Tremor Valley uh, last week and how the the plan is to turn the older part of the Tremor Valley into a, a reserve and, and a nature reserve. And John Armstrong from the Cork Nature Network, you're going to be doing a nature walk there in a couple of weeks' time. Good morning. Good morning, Peter. How are things? Good, good. Your plan, is the, it's the end of February, so people have time to get ready for it. Yes, it's the 27th of February. Okay. So tell me what you've been yeah, looking at. So we're, the plan is to have a nature walk around the site um, from 2 to 4 p.m. kind of to show people a lot of the native species they wouldn't expect on the site. Because um, Tremor Valley Park is a really interesting place, all told, as it is a reclaimed landfill. Yeah. And so it's kind of almost rewilding itself in a way, if you can think about it like that. Yeah. What sort of creatures would live there that I mightn't, I mightn't think about? I'd expect foxes and I'd expect people. But what else? So one of the most interesting ones I think that live there are otters. So we do know there are otters in the small river kind of on the north side of it, kind of where you go along, you can say a little roundabout, kind of be on your right-hand side if you're right. going towards kind of Kerry side. So there are otters in that river. Um, we also know that there are quite a lot of like, native honeybees. There's quite a few of them on the site, which is um, wonderful to see. Um, we do have swallows, so at this time of year you wouldn't see them as they're down, migrating down into Africa, but they will be coming back into the summer again. Yeah. Um, things like magpies, nettles are, are another one. People look at them as the most common annoying plant, but they're fantastic for uh, ladybirds. So if you don't have any nettles, you won't have any ladybirds. Right. right. So things like that. Yeah, and of course, in 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 three or four weeks' time, twenty seventh of February, we'll be at the cusp of the start of spring, so there'll be loads to see. Yes, there will. Things be coming back into life once more. Um, also, on the site, we do have what's called a purple loosestrife, and that's a fantastic plant for pollinators. What's it called? Um, I didn't catch that, John. What's it called? Right, purple loosestrife. Okay. Yeah, it's a native species, and it's fantastic for them. Okay, so how can people? Do they just turn up or do they have to register for something? So um, um, we have an event right for it and it actually booked out in two days, which we were incredibly happy about Whoa. and incredibly surprised about it as, as well. So it's, there's huge interest, which is incredible to see for a native plant. So for, can we walk just talking about nature, which okay. I so think is the best thing to Good luck with it when it comes up. The line isn't the best. We might talk again uh, about it. But that's Eventbrite. It's sold out. They closed out in, in a couple of hours. But the Tremor Valley Nature Walks starting at the end of February. That's John Armstrong from the Cork Nature Network. The whole kinship project has started. And the idea is to turn it into a place we all love again rather than just leave it there as a disused dump. So there you go. Uh, Pat Dawson was back on with regard to travelling to the UK. There's no need for any test once you've not been outside the common travel area for 10 days or more prior to travel. And the common travel area is the Republic of Ireland, United Kingdom, Isle of Man and the Channel Islands. But British overseas territories not included. It's all... (laughs) It's all confusing. But from today, the best thing to have is your booster or a recovery cert. Or if you're going somewhere, you may need to get a test. I know there's some delay in getting youngsters their boosters, which means people are worried about youngsters going on holidays eventually. 
I think that'll probably all work itself out. But the best thing is, if you're planning to travel in the months to come and you haven't got your booster yet, it's probably best that you go about it. Crikey, it was a busy one. The programme edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Katie O'Keefe. And we'll see you tomorrow just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.